You can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is ready on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we're both independent filmmakers who like discussing movies and related topics. And for this podcast extra, we're delighted to be joined by a special guest. We have filmmaker, producer, James Rumsey. Welcome, James. Thank you for having me. Um, And I have a cold. Get that out of the way right now. I don't... um... I'm not auditioning for a tunes advert, but I do actually have a cold. You're not usually that husky. No, exactly, yes. (laughs) Sorry, girls. Our our female listeners will love it, I'm sure. I'm always (laughs) apologising. Well, James, I mean, we've known you some years through the sort of um, filmmaking, independent filmmaking community. Um, But yeah, for our listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, as much as you want to give? (laughs) Okay, yeah, background in film. The, 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 quick, the quick answer, really, is um, uh, fell in love with filmmaking when I did my film degree back in the dark days of the early 90s. Um, up to then, I've been interested in theatre only. And, and, and then just got bitten, really, um, at that stage. Started making little videos at university as part of the course. Liked that more than the critical side of the course. Um, and then, yeah, to try and keep it brief, then, then moved on to um, making my own films and assistant directing more than anything on other people's. Um, so, yeah, just fell in love with the process, really, and it's, it's never really left me. I've tried to get out of it a few times, actually earned some money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just drags me back in, and now I've, I've given up full-time work. This is what I do. And, um, yeah, the film that you're here to talk to me about today is my first venture as a, as a feature film producer, the film My Feral Heart, directed by Jane Gull, written by Duncan Paveling. Mm, yeah, well, Jane is also someone that I've known for for some years as well. Um, uh, I met her on a, on a short film uh, in Bournemouth, and then she and I ended up acting together in a, uh, uh, a low-budget independent horror film um, called Blood Myth. Uh, some years ago. <laughs> she she and, has never mentioned that. No, she doesn't but tend you, to but talk you, about but that. But you are, Keith, actually in, integral to um, how I met Jane. So you are in some key way, I was going to say small way, but in a key way, um, crucial for the embodiment of my for our heart as it stands today. So where's my credit then? Where's, well, we, where's we, that? We, we, we only really realised this um, the other day when we were talking it through because I'd always said that the only, you know, one of the great stepping stones to me making my for a heart and becoming a producer was 
doing Feast on Film in Crouch End mm-hmm. at the wonderful Moore's Bar. Um, the lovely, lovely Andy James asked me to host that. And it was at one of the early editions of that, probably about four or five years ago, that you turned up with Jane. You mm-hmm. handed me a DVD of Sunny Boy, the award-winning Sunny Boy, which has since been acquired by Channel 4 and TVRC on the continent. Um, and done wonderful things worldwide, won all sorts of awards. Um, she handed me that <laughs> and said, right at the beginning of its journey, and said, oh, would you show my film at some point? Mm-hmm. And that's how I met her. So that, and she was there as your, your mate. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've worked well with both you and Jane, both, uh, you know, behind the scenes, as well as, uh, you know, as I said, me and Jane's acted together as well. And uh, yeah, done quite a bit. In fact, while we're on the shout outs, we, we should mention that we're actually recording this today at the uh, Picture House Crouch End in their wonderful community room. Yeah. So thank you. Just, just around House. the corner from the Moors Bar. Just around the corner from the... So, look, it's all connected. Yeah, it's, Everything's connected. It's around the corner from Ground Zero, my fellow heart. Although I think Duncan would disagree. It's not quite Ground Zero because a friend, a friend of his introduced him to Jane. So, yeah. So there's, there's, there's another Ground Zero. I think, it was, I think it might have been, and they will correct me, a Pizza Express in Fenchurch Street, I think. But something, something like that, anyway. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember, I mean, one of the things that impressed me when I first met you was I watched your short film, Milkman. Yes. Which, uh, that's been award-winning, right? It's won, on a, it's won a few awards, yeah. It's, it's, it, did, it did pretty well. Um, it was, and, I, and again, you know, I mean, short, short films, you know I love short films. I did three years of promoting short films and short filmmakers, and I would still be doing it now um, if, um, to be blunt, if I could make some money out of it. Um, and one of the reasons why I moved from short filmmaking to feature filmmaking as a as an as an as a next step ambition, rather than keep on making shorts, was because it costs a lot of money. It took a lot of time and dedication, not just to make Milkman, but then to to, to get it out onto the film festival circuit. And at the end of it, you know, you spend your budget again on doing film festivals, and you think, what have I really got at the end of it? I've had a really nice time, and I've got some nice accolades. But until I actually make something, this is just my opinion, but I felt until I make something more commercial, and unfortunately the short film form isn't commercial yet, and I say yet because I think we all live in hope that one day people will go, actually I don't want to sit down for two hours in a multiplex, I'm quite happy to pay to watch something for 10 minutes or a collection of shorts for, for 30 minutes, uh, which I know people are working on that as those sorts of packages. Well, but I, I had mean, to move away from it to try and have a, a career in filmmaking, which is what I was really after. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, I think most people don't sit down and watch just one short film. They're always packaged together. When you go to a film festival, you go and see at least six short films. Or if it's a, I have to say, I've been to some short film festivals where they don't quite know there's a, a cut-off point where fatigue kicks in. <laughs> I've, I've been to <laughs> festivals where it's like two to three hours of short films, and there comes a point where you're just like, I don't care anymore. It's, because it's just it's another story and it starts up again yeah. and it's you you kick into especially if they have a uh, theme running for it because I've I've been I went to one festival where the theme this year was kids being knifed and is Jesus. it okay and, and, but I mean this is this is coming from a social point of view you know right. that it's bad you know yeah. kids knifing yeah. other kids but there comes a point when you see four or five of these films where you're going. Just don't care anymore, <laughs> you know. When you should be, because it's that, that topic where you should really be fucking caring. It's like yeah, and I think, and I, th- I think, I think the thing is about people who love movies, um, and want to make, want to be involved in the industry. It's very, 
I mean, some people will specialise and they have their shtick, but I think mm. by and large, most people like all sorts of films and certainly with Feast on Film when I did it, it yeah. was, um, I think as far as, I think, I think themes would sometimes accidentally present themselves. So one, you know, in fact, I think that the night that I showed Sonny Boy on, it was a women in film night. Every single movie was made by a female film director, um, which incidentally, I know that Jane hates that term. She's just a film director mm. and hates the question, what's it like being a woman film director? She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'd have to know what it's like to be a man director to be able to tell you what the difference is being a woman <laughs> film director. I'm just a, I'm just a film director. Yeah. Uh, but that that sort of worked itself out. I would always like to go for variety. So yeah. And yeah. there was while we're just shooting the breeze about festivals, not my beloved Skepto in Sardinia, which is a fantastic short film festival, but another film fest festival which I won't name. I went to in in Italy. That, that, <laughs> their film program was bizarre. It was just like. Here's a bunch of films on that are on this screen today at some point, and you just sort of rock up, and uh, and it was just just, just yeah. a case of it never stopped. It was like rolling movies all day, and you just dipped in and dipped out. And well, the thing about film festivals is it all comes down to the taste of who's organising it, whoever's picking the films. I mean, I always loved about Feast on Film was the fact that uh, in one night you could have seen like you know sh a couple of shorts, a music video, always a music video, a documentary. Yeah, you know, and mm. and they were always sort of they were always I always felt that you you picked really well and put them together in a it you know so it was a, it was a mixture so you got different things and also it helped that you actually got up on stage and talked to directors afterwards. So you actually... Yeah, well, like I say, I mean, we went off at this tangent talking about short films with short film festivals and everything else because the, the relevance of Feast on Film to the conversation and my for a heart and my career as a producer is, and as film directors yourself, who also do both sides of that, that role, if you like. I think it's very difficult to direct and not produce at all, yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, it does feel like you're a gun for hire then, if somebody else is... Producing, or if you don't have any say in what's you know you're going to yeah, I mean, we can maybe get onto the what what, what yeah. is a producer, what yeah. does a producer oh, we do definitely a little bit later on. <laughs> but the, yeah. but what my, the distinction I made when I did my when I did feast on film, um, I I was still looking at I still was my goal was still to be a director, mm -hmm. um, and a writer director to begin with. But then I realised I wasn't prolific enough to be a writer director. There's I can write. I'm not a writer, there's a difference. And um, someone like our good friend Mark Brown is a writer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that being prolific, that being able to knock things out, you know. Yeah. Like, like Ben Woodyworth, who I work with. Exactly. And I've yeah. met Ben before, he won't remember this, but very briefly at a tweet up. <laughs> oh, okay. Shout out to the tweet up. Oh, lots of shout outs. Yeah, yeah. Well, lovely community. Well, actually, Mark Brown deserves a shout out because that's how I met you originally. It is, it is. Because it is. Uh, it's, it's, I did a podcast oh, goodness, for Mark gracious. Brown. And, um, uh, if we, was yeah. this, I think this was uh, uh, Tincast, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Tin Can Podcast. Oh, Tin Can I think podcast. it was called yeah. something like that. And, yeah. um, no, no, you're yeah. correct. Tin Can. If you try yeah, and unpick all the little, that might be one of the last threads actually to unpick. How this wonderful crochet of film community. Came yeah. We work our way back to the Big Bang. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 it all comes back to Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Kevin Bacon. Right, I could even go back to the, 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 the very last Wood Green International Film Festival, as it was, back in 2000 and late 2010, I believe it was. 
Andy James saw my film Milkman there and then he asked me to show it a few months later at Moore's Bar and then he liked me and his curator dropped out and I got invited to take over and... And the rest is history. history. There so, you yeah, go. yeah. So, so, now, why was I... No, now, okay. <laughs> one of the points that you, you touched on there, though, and that was definitely one of my questions for mm. you uh, for this podcast, was, like you said, you, you set out to be a, a filmmaker in terms of a director... Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, you, you know, you've sort of ended up in this role of producing a feature. How did that uh, happen? Exactly, that's what I was going to ask. How, how did you go? Yeah, from, I keep from going off a tangent, don't I? I well, we, we, we always do. Don't the worry. Um, <laughs> the feast film thing—that was key. Yeah, and not not to go much. It was, it's that role in relation to other filmmakers, and actually recognising opportunity as much as anything. Mm-hmm. I lost confidence in myself as a director. Oh, okay. And I found, uh, you know, because you, you wait, you, you set your stool out and say, I'm not doing short films. So I might do the odd little thing here and there, but it wasn't really keeping my skills in shape. And so you get involved in all the rhetoric around, oh, when is a script ready and when isn't a script ready? And you get involved in a project. And I did get heavily involved in a project with Mark Brown and we didn't, for one reason or another, it, it never really came to fruition. And during that time, um, other people um, started sending me film scripts was really nice. I mean, it was uh, apropos of nothing, just because I had stood up on a stage at Moore's Bar and said, oh, I know a little bit about films, because, I mean, I didn't say I know a little bit about films. I said, here are some fantastic filmmakers, and then talk to those filmmakers. You said, Simon. So for whatever reason, some people then saw that as a reason to respect my opinion Mm -hmm. and would send me their scripts. Short filmmakers who now had feature film scripts would send me their scripts, and I would read them, and then I'd have a coffee with them or a beer or an email exchange. And I really enjoyed it. I was like, this is, this is great. I've like literally in the space of a few months, so I've read half a dozen scripts, I've had half a dozen conversations, I found it really rewarding. They appear to have found it really rewarding. All I now need to do is work out how I get paid for that. You know? so, and then I said, what job is that? And then, you know, it sounds stupid. I'm not exactly a young kid. Right? So, you know, I was at the university in the early 90s, so you can work out <laughs> the gaps. Um, so, so, so I'm, oh, yeah, okay, great, right. So, yeah, what I want to be is I want to be a script developer. I want to be in the script development department. And um, so I did a course <laughs> with industrial scripts, and um, I can say this now because I no longer work for them, but they liked what I did on the course, and they invited me to join their ranks. Mm-hmm. as a script reader and I read for Kudos Television and I read for Matador Films um, but that wasn't that still wasn't really paying paying the rent so to speak it's, it, you get such a small amount of money and if you and you know I enjoyed it and it put me in a good position but what I then realised was actually and there's one of the guys at Kudos who's a friend of a friend of mine said why do you you know you've had so much experience why don't you just want to produce that's essentially what development is. Yeah. And, and that really got me thinking. Um, at which point I thought, okay, well, if I was going to produce, who would I like to work with? And sure enough, because of film festivals I've been to over the years and three years of meeting grassroots film writers and directors, I suddenly had this huge Rolodex of incredible talent. And, you know, no disrespect to present company, but at the top of the list was, was Jane. I just something, was something about her... I'd met her recently at a networking event and she'd, she'd actually mentioned My Fair Heart in passing. Oh, okay. And I thought, well, I like Jane. I got on with Jane. I like her 
you know, down to earth approach and she's done very well with Sunny Boy. I'll ask her, and there's a couple of other people I asked at the time, um, what they got going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't My Fair Heart we first talked about. Um, she sent me another script and we worked on that for a bit. She held My Fair Heart back for about four or five months before I got to look at it. But in that time, I was reading a lot of scripts and for other people. And so when I did read My Fair Heart, I knew there was something for me, and it has to be a yeah. personal choice, there was something really special going on with that film mm-hmm. and with the partnership between Jane and Duncan. And actually, they'd already done casting of the, the four principles and I could see on paper that they looked like a really interesting combination as well so that is why I ended up producing that film and why I was attracted to producing was I just felt you know it's another it's another feast on film it's just me it's just I mean I feel very comfortable and very privileged to be able to stand, stand next to directing and writing talent and say invest in these people mm-hmm. you need these people to have their stuff made that's a much more comfortable and natural position and strong position for me as a personality with my skill set to do than it was for me to stand in front of a room of people and say, I'm amazing. Look at my stuff. Aren't I great? Back me. I'm effectively doing that as producer anyway, but I, I get a real kick out of helping, helping others. And that isn't because that isn't an altruistic thing. It's just my skill set fits that relationship better than me making myself the cherry on top. Okay. And, um, I mean, obviously, uh, I watched the film last night in preparation for this, but reading the end credits, I mean, as well as being a producer on it, you were also actually the uh, the first AD. So you were yeah. you were very present during the entire process, in co- including the shoot. So um, I know that's something we've worked together on before as with you as a first it, AD? It, it's something I've done um, since day dot, really, in filmmaking, mm-hmm. properly, professionally making films. I had a, I had a retainment at the, um, it's freelance, obviously, but then I actually got contracted properly for a period of time with the National Film and Television School. So when I, fir- I, I down tools, I, as I keep doing, I ditched a really well-paid job and went to Vancouver and studied film, and you study the whole nine yards, and it's a real discipline in the protocol of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no egos there. It's all about nuts and bolts, people yep. on the ground, getting your, you know, getting your first day on set, getting your next day on set. Quite military in some ways. Um, and so when I got back um, in 2004, I went. I knocked on the National Film and Television School door, and but I, I, I forget now if they said to me, the way we do it here is if you production manager, you AD as well. I think mm-hmm. that might have been something I brought from Vancouver because... On the course, on the on the sixteen mil projects, on the course, which is a, it's a central key part of the course. That's a real nitty gritty part. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you produce, then you AD. If you edit, then on set your continuity. You know things like that. If you do sound on set, you do sound design in post. So you would double up on production roles and post production roles. Although, yeah, there is <laughs> there is a real blurring of producing and oh. an AD. And it's yeah. not quite the same delineation of continuity and editing and sound design and sound recording. But um, I was used to doing that. I did that on about three projects in Vancouver. So when I turned up at National Film and Television School and I'm talking to directors there, I'm like, well, I'll, I can I can do both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it might have been me that said that. I, I really do forget, though. So I production managed an AD'd a few productions there when I first got back. And it just stayed with me. You know, I became a bit of a control freak, I think. I just kind of... I love being on set. People who work with me on set might not 
realise that because I, I wear a frown the whole time I'm on set. I don't exactly. I, mean, I hate production stills of the of the, the crew on set because if ever I'm there, I'm, like, I'm usually like, yeah, like a hands in my head, frowning. You know, I look unwell. It's just like, what is like, what is this guy doing on set? But I actually love it. I love being in the eye of the storm. Yeah. And if I was, a, a, and if I was a producer that just sat back and just sat in an office and did the accounting and troubleshot, then I wouldn't be able to do that. I, I can't sustain that, I'll just say that for now. I don't really want to keep doing that. Um, it, on my, and on my feral heart, it was, um, I would say 70, 30, 70% it was down to budget. It saved us a wage. You know, mm -hmm. if I did both roles and we saved, um, we saved a wage on set. Um, but I also had a chat with Jane about it, and um, you know we, we had a we had a good relationship, I think, and a good relationship between a director and the first AD is a relationship that can withstand the odd bit of bickering here and there, which was very few and far between mm -hmm. with me and Jane. But I think she, I think she felt most comfortable if I took that role on as well. So I had already recruited a production manager, and Duncan, the writer, also produced. So we had that backup. It wasn't like you know, Duncan was at home twiddling his thumbs and it was me on set and off set. There was personnel to give me backup. Mm -hmm. um, it just meant I had to do all the bookkeeping after the event. But no, you know, it's, but this, that's a whole other story. But well, the passion that got, gets me involved was the story, the, the partnership involved, Jane and Duncan. And, um, you know, once I'm in, if I'm in, I'm in. That's it. But I mean, uh, what was what what was the nuts and bolts of being a producer? Because I think that's mm. the one thing people don't quite understand when it comes to filmmaking. They see this like you know produced yeah. by, and they're not quite sure what does that mean. And there's a lot of different definitions, and lots of different reasons why people get producer credits. Um, I will quite happily tell you that there's twenty producer credits on my for a heart, um, and. Uh, a lot of them, the associate producer credits, people bought on crowdfunding. That's they bought them through our crowdfunding campaign. Um, and giving money to a production is a, is a fair enough way to get um, an associate or exec producer type credit. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, we have some. We have. I think we have. Uh, so I think it's. It must be that we have ten exec producers. We have. It must. Maybe it's more than 20. I forget how many. It's quite a long list. It's quite a long list. But we'd still have about 10 exec producers. Now, that, that breaks down. So, for example, our sales agents are execs. And our, um, the people that gave us our largest chunk, Golf Entertainment, are execs. Um, the guys that brokered that deal are execs. So, Roger and Neil. Um, and then we have um, what we call... Um, um, sort of, uh, sort of higher, um, high level investors for a film like ours. So mm -hmm. when we, because our, our film is half funded by an SEI, we're an SEIS established you know, special purpose vehicle. So we set ourselves up as a limited company and we sold shares, which get tax relief. We'll leave it there. So we told people if you buy up to X amount, then you you'll get an exec producer credit as well. So we've got. Three Th uh, three guys that did, we've got three guys, four guys that did that. Um, and again, that's fair enough. So there's, they're, they're all producers. Now different, you know, like we wouldn't have got 
the deal would have been brokered without a sales agent coming on board, so they're putting their neck on the line, so they get to have the exact producer. Yeah. But, you know, it's all mm-hmm. a, a partly window dressing, but but people people by and large earn the credits. Then you've got myself, Jane, and Duncan, who are the three producers. Um, and again, um, partly that's uh, partly that's down to money we all put in because we all invested money. But that would, strictly speaking, just be exact an exact producer credit. In my in my book, if you just put money in, then you're just an exact producer. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, Jane and Duncan had done a lot of work before I came on board. You know, this was a this was a project with momentum. It was in danger of stalling by their own admission, but they had momentum and they'd done some casting and they'd developed a script together. That was work I didn't have to do, and we've worked together as a team, by and large, all, you know, on most decisions all the way through. Um, so that so we're all producers. Um, they refer to me, we refer to me as the lead producer because effectively I run the company. So um, all key inquiries come through me. I had to deal with the hiring and the firing. I dealt with um, the legal contracts. I deal with all the paying of crew. I deal, you know, I deal with all the VAT returns. I deal with the end of year accounts, with the accountant, all that stuff, which would be the same. I could be making toilet rolls, it wouldn't matter. There's certain things which are constants, you know, when you're running a business and you have to make yourself accountable. So I'm I'm doing all that stuff. Um, but in, but in, 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 term, in terms of getting the project off the ground, uh, my first role when I came on board, having the three of us having made the decision to jointly take the leap of faith, that's one first key step. You've got mm-hmm. to all go hold hands like Thelma and Louise and go, let's do it. <laughs> so, so we did that. Nice movie reference. A, a, a pub in Liverpool Street <laughs> Station, July 31st, 2014. Remember it well. Yeah. Mine and Duncan's anniversary each year. So we, you know, always bear that in mind. Um, we made the leap of faith. And then my, my very first job then was to look at Duncan had put forward a way he thought the company should be structured, and I said that could work. But I would, I really think it's more. It's, it's, it's about trying to look at it as an investment opportunity for investors. So, so what's the best possible investment opportunity you can give your investors? And for me, the level of funding that we needed, it was Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme (SEIS), um, which wasn't how, how how Duncan had set it up. So I said I want to go away and form the company. Um, with an eye to selling shares which qualify for that relief tax relief scheme. So that was the first thing, new, new business plan, um, register at company's house, all that stuff, get that, get that ready as, 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 a, as an entity that people can invest in. Because that's the thing, you know, if you're producing a film and you can't prove that you've got the rights to actually make the film and you don't have a, a company that they can actually, an entity that their money's actually going to go into, and you don't have a business plan on how that's going to work, then forget about it. Again, it's a constant, you know, if you're starting a business, it's the first thing a bank manager is going to want to see mm-hmm. if they're going to give you a loan, a startup loan is, well, show me the plan, you know, mm-hmm. what am I investing in? I think we forget sometimes in the film world, kind of go, yeah, but I'm in love with my project <laughs> and I've got an emotional attachment, right? So, of course you should give me the money. Well, that isn't how it works. People, you can, people, that's the extra bit. That's the added value, the extra, the extra reason why that somebody might invest is they'll look into your eyes and see someone passionate and committed. Yeah. And you need that, but you need to have the really boring stuff. Exactly. It's show business, well. not show art. You know, it's, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, that's a really yeah. corny phrase, but it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a nail on the head. And um, it's the stuff that keeps you awake at night. It's, it's not, you know, 
had complete faith in the script, complete faith in the actors, complete faith in the crew, complete faith in the director. That's not what keeps you up at night. What keeps you up at night is, okay, and this is with all due respect to ourselves as short filmmakers and short filmmakers out there, this isn't a short film. I'm accountable till the very, very end of this film's life or mine, whichever comes first, you know, for the money that's been put in. Now, we're not talking about millions. It isn't like I'm ready to jump off the fourth bridge or something. Yeah. But it is, you know, you, you've, you, you, you well, make it and then you've got to sell it. Yeah. And that's but, all part and yeah. parcel of but the producer's But that's the, also the, other, well. the other art of producing is then coming up with the way of spending that money. Because there's a there's a hundred thousand yeah. different ways you sure. can spend that money to make a film. Mm. It's like why is there's a difference between say an independent film that's made for like half a million mm. and a big budget to film that's made for a hundred million. Mm. I mean, it's all about how much you pay, how much you what you spend yeah. money on. I think that all comes um, again. This is and this is testimony. Um, I, I I can't take um, all the credit for that. It, it, it becomes down to the reason why. And actually the guy, the guys, I had a meeting with, with Neil, but he, he said, and now for people like them, who um, are high net worth individuals who broker deals in the finance world for different reasons a lot, the sort of money they were talking about raising for us, they weren't interested on, on the face value. The, the lady that introduced us to them, she sent them the script, but they got as far as the amount of money we were looking to raise, and they went, nah, not. It's not worth it for us. That that lady, um, this lady called Sarah D, who's an actor, and she just um, through our crowdfunder actually, she actually fell in love with the film and what we were doing. And she asked me not to give up, and she said, "Write a two-page treatment." So I wrote a two-page treatment. Um, thank you, Industrial Scripts, for teaching me how to do good treatments. <laughs> you know, um, you didn't pay me much, but you did teach me some good stuff. So uh, the, they, um, you might want to cut that out. They're nice people. Um, um, leave it in. Leave it in. No, they are nice people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Why did you need to read scripts faster? Stop digging. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Should we start again? No, um, no but she, she said, do a two-page treatment. And uh, Roger, uh, Roger Bassett, one of the guys, these guys, they're the company's Lindexus New Media. They, they, they read it um, and they fell in love with it and they gave it to Goldfinch. And they read it and they fell in love with it. So the, tre the treatment... You know, the, the treatment led to the them reading the script and and things follow from there. But he said to me, he said, look, we've got, it was gin-soaked. He might have been a bit bravado, but he said, you know, yes, I've got loads of money, blah, 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 whatever. And he, and he does. He said, but, and he said, the reason why it's different for me with this film, and that's where it can make a difference. We, we our crowdfunding campaign showed people that we were set up well. Um, we had the business plan to, to back it up. And then, and then, the fantastic creative idea that Duncan had come up with in collaboration with Jane was the reason, and us as a team, I'm gonna pat us, all of us on the back, mm. was the reason why they actually chose a project. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't because it made sense. It wasn't like it made, because no film makes well, it never financial makes sense. sense no. really. But, but, but in lieu of a star, and in lieu of a big budget that made more sense, that was the reason why. Um, your question was about why does one film cost more than, than another? Yeah, it's, 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 I, I call it enrolment. It's about enrolment, you know, and so that was their enrolment. Their enrolment process was not falling in love with our budget, but by falling in love with the project and then us. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. If you like, falling in love with us might be a bit strong, but <laughs> you know, having faith in us and wanting to work with us. Um, and I think that relationship goes all the way down the line with no matter who you're dealing with, whether it's a shop owner that you want to film in the doorway of their shop for, or if it's, if it's a lighting company that you're trying to get a particularly good deal with, if it's a particularly famous actor that you're trying to get a, a great deal with, you know, you, 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 it's about enrolment. It's about you saying, I'm going to give you a different reason to want to do our film for the price that we can afford you to do it for. Yeah. Um, so you have to be a people person um, and you have to know when to say no, I think, in terms of that deal isn't going to work for us. Well, yeah, because um, that is one of the things that you, as a producer, you have to keep hold of the reins because at the end of the day, when it's one of these things where in the film industry, things cost a lot and they can cost a, a hell of a lot of money and you could spend your budget like that mm. on like a couple of things and you won't get your film made. And it's kind of knowing how... It's kind of, I don't know, I guess it's kind of like a, a roadmap, isn't it? Some way is with a budget to say, well, I've got this amount of money and I have to get from London to Scotland, mm. you know, with it. And of course, but re- in reality, if I was to pay for everything uh, and pay full rates, it's only going to get me as far as Watford. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so it, is, it, it's that, it is that thing about having to squeeze every penny out of that budget. Absolutely. I mean, you know, in, in, in order, I mean, I'm not going to talk exact figures, but in order for us to get the, the financing deal we got in the end, um, with our wonderful partners, Goldfinch Entertainment, with the back end of Movie House, who are our sales agents, um, all brokered by the visionary guys, Neil and Roger at um, Lindexis uh, Lind- New Media. It, um, in order to get that, we did have to reduce our budget. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a tricky. It's a tricky one. Thinking back, I mean, whether whether I do another film the way we did My Fair Heart or not, I don't know. We we worked out in July the bare minimum that we would have in our pocket. We agreed to shoot. Um, I think at the time we were hoping to shoot sort of last week in October. We ended up shooting from the first week in November. Um, we basically gave ourselves three months um, to get the funding together, the rest of the crew, the rest of the cast, all the deals in place, all the locations locked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we, and, you know, we worked out we had a minimum amount in our back pocket and, and we, we had a little chat with each other about what we had in our savings and if nothing else came in, could we still shoot and pay everybody? And pay everybody was the important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, we didn't want to go off half-cocked in that respect. We were like, on this occasion, yes. For this film, yes because it's a mm-hmm. micro-budget movie. And um, so we just went for it. Um, but I think that what comes out of that is that when you come and you then talk to people in this enrolment process, so yeah. when I sat down in the fifth floor of Waterstones in Piccadilly and when I sat with, with, with Neil and when I met with Roger on set and when I met, you meet with anyone, whether it's a you know, supporting cast or um, the great guys at CineLease, which was a new film, a new lighting company that, that had just started up uh, in, t- in 2014, um, you're talking to them about a project that is happening. Yeah. And it's not really a question of if we get this and if we get that, we're going to make it. Can you help us by filling in this blank? It's like, well, we've got this blank. We're going to do it anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question is, and it's, it, it, it reminds me of, I remember hearing an interview with Stephen Woolley back in the dark ages and, and how he approached entering a room and pitching. And he said, he said, he said never enter a room and pitch like you need that person uh, for the project to go ahead. Always enter the room and pitch like it's happening anyway. The, the train is leaving the station regardless and you'd love them to be on board. Mm-hmm. You know, and, it, and it's a slightly different mindset. And there's a lot of hippie stuff talked about the universe and what you put out, you get back. And I really do believe if you enter the room, and I've done it myself loads of times, do it, I still do it yeah. in all manner of situations. But if you enter the room and you've got, you're feeling stressed out and I don't know if it's going to work and you bring that into the room, people see it. Even if you're sat there going, oh no, we're, we're really going to, no, we're, no, yes, no, we're really going to do it. You know, it all comes across your hesitancy, yeah. your, your, your lack of intention, your lack of belief, however hard you try and suppress it. I think people still see it. If you enter the room and you're like, no, this is, you know, train schedule is going to leave, hop mm-hmm. on board, it's going to be great. Yeah. Then it's, it's, it's a different proposition for people. But I think because we, we gave, ironically, in a train station, um, we gave ourselves that agreement July 31st, 2014. We had that agreement in place that we knew that if push came to the shove, we, we clubbed together and do the cardinal sin of pretty much funding the lot. Mm-hmm to get it in the can, to use an old terminology. But yeah, um, we had that agreement, so it wasn't, we weren't going to be stopped. It meant that we, the shackles were off. We could pursue financing and do it in the proper way. Um, but we could also go looking at locations. We could also go brokering the other deals, knowing all three of us supported each other financially and artistically and mm-hmm. in all the endeavours we were doing, which I think was really important. Yeah. I must, well, I must admit, it just it reminds me of with when I made my feature film and um, I had a set date that I was going to film. And once that date was in mm. place because of the location, we had three weeks in this one location and I had it booked and that was it. And it was, as you say, the, the train had left the station and <laughs> you literally you had to get... Did every- you leave anyone behind? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but that was more to do with casting. Uh, I had yeah. some. I had some very strange experiences with casting, and uh, I won't go into it. Uh, that was. That's definitely another podcast. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. definitely another podcast because it yeah, is no. funny with some actors when you lay it on the line, you tell them what it is, and they still play games with you, mm. and you're just like, "Well, I'm, I've got a film to make. I don't have time to to do this." Well, this this is this <laughs> mind the gap. <laughs> yeah, well, this, this, well, this, this is this is a really you know uh, I think um, without coming across too much like a hippie, I think you do have to be really grateful when you look back at things. It was a real uh, head spinner when you know, like I said, from me waking up August the first and going, shit, I'm just ready to produce a film, and it's not all on me, but I've I've I've, I've pretty much said leave it to me, chaps, and I'll I'll get the business started and. Yeah. I'll, I'll set everything in place so everyone can get their share certificates, etc., 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 and I'll redo the budget. And all you do go, oh, holy crap! Mm-hmm. Um, but my point wasn't to talk about the fear. My point was to talk about being grateful and being grateful in so much mm-hmm. as you look back and you think about, well, how the hell did it all come together in three months? And how the hell did we actually manage to shoot for three weeks in November and actually not have a film that looks like we shot in? Uh, the bleak midwinter, you know, <laughs> how, how, how did we manage that? Yeah. And, and the answer is, I don't really know, 
because a lot so much is what I say it's gratitude you look back at the people that said yes mm-hmm. and not just that they said yes but like you say they said yes and didn't move it to a maybe yeah they said yes and they stuck to yes and whenever you really get, re- spoke to them about a change of dates or a change of this or a change of that they still said yes and you kind of think that's how it happens I mean I think it's such a people-based industry we shot in Essex and again by happy and wonderful glorious coincidence it's my backyard where I grew up it's where Jane grew up it's where Duncan grew up but we didn't know each other before we properly before we started making the film so it was kind of kismet in that respect but the people in that area um, you know I had local council I've got George Arnie who's council of an area called Stanbridge we need to get that right grief (laughs) Um, which is the main area we shot in people in Rochford I mean Jane's mum has a cafe there so she knows a lot of different shop owners nearby um, mm-hmm. but the local council are just incredibly just, just nice dealt with a lady called you know Vanessa who was just really lovely to deal with and nothing was too much of a problem you know it wasn't like the London like you go to London like yeah we can do that it'll cost you yeah. so much money none of that well, it was just all well, work cooperation it's quite a unique thing for a, a film crew to be coming in and filming there well, well yes but they don't but they don't have to see it that way, and and that's yeah. and that's you know. Well, I think London's a bit jaded because you know there's you walk down like uh, like Oxford Street or something, and you're mm. bound to bump into somebody filming. Yeah, sure. I, th- I think I think the I think the point I'm trying to make is uh, um, to be grateful because, um, like I said before, it, it's not enough to just to believe as a filmmaker that you're making a film and you have some God-given right to to be able to step on people's toes and yeah. use their properties. And, and unfortunately, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of people out there that think it is. No, no. Yeah, and I've, I've, and I've worked with one. Yeah, and he exactly. thought it was not, just, not, just fine to turn up wherever and set a camera up and film <laughs> and not ask yeah. anybody's permission. It's, it's just about common courtesy, be nice to people. Um, if you say you're going to do something, do it. There were occasions where maybe that was a bit of a grey area and, and it blew up on us a little bit and it was always and it was a firefight. But again, nobody ever blew up enough that it wasn't a fire that couldn't be put out. So really, really grateful to every single person along the way that said yes, and even when we maybe went wrong a bit, still said yes, you know, having to, having to re, re, you know, renegotiate or whatever. It's, and it really does go all the way down the line. And, and, and you think about it, it's, 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 um, it's a strong chain of events because people were, it was good relations all the way along. But at any one point, somebody could have, Gone, you know, I've had it with you lot. Yeah, yeah. forget it. No, and all of a sudden, a key location falls away, or a key member of cast. We were so lucky with the people that were cast in the movie. I mean, Jane and Duncan deserve such huge compliments for, for casting not just people that brought exactly what was needed to the role, but people that had exactly the right attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one actor say to me at the end of it, I didn't know you were so sure on cash. Do you want? Do you want to just want to pay the money back? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 ridiculous. I'm <laughs> insane. Yeah. You got paid very little as it is. Don't give me no. Oh God, no. Um, but for example, we haven't yet spoken about Stephen, our lead yeah. guy. Who has, I, I was gonna I was gonna get to that. Yes. But this yeah. is a decent segue because yeah. um, I, I can't say enough about I mean he's he's awesome, he's a legend in the making. I mean he already is on the festival circuit. Every town we've been to with a film, they will never forget Stephen Brandon. I mean he's mm-hmm. he is uh, well, let's, let's a such a charismatic chap, but yeah. just very quickly, the gratitude thing. His parents have been, I mean, for good reason, 
uh, from, from, from talking to a few other people in, in that community, so, some parents are just so overprotective or just protective for good reason with their children who have a learning disability that um, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have got the level of cooperation um, and access to this guy that we, that we have had. And um, I think it's done a lot of good for him. Um, but let's be clear about this. We were, we were doing it for us. I mean, Duncan wrote the script because he wanted to, you know, from a very altruistic point of view, in so much as he wanted to, um, having, he has worked with people with learning disabilities for some time in a counselling role, he, he really did want to produce a role that would put someone with a learning disability in a lead role. That was, that was absolutely the intention. This is one of the but, amazing but, things but about Stephen this Stephen is, um, Stephen was incredible. His parents were even more incredible because of the amount of time and effort they've given up for us. Yeah. Really, really. Well, really. On, on that point, I mean, My, My Feral Heart is quite a, um, a unique uh, film. Uh, for the benefit of, of listeners, before we sort of go too much into that, mm. can, you, can you just give us a, a, a brief overview of, of what it is? And also, I'm interested, um, from your point of view, how much of a creative endeavour it was as well you know, with the script and with the film itself, because okay. I know a lot of it was already there. So can you, mm. can you just give us a little bit of background on that, please? Okay, so the, the, the story, um, I, wish I, could, I wish I'd memorised what Edinburgh Film Festival said about our film, because it's the best synopsis we've had so far. I can't. Um, but look it up, it's great. <laughs> um, it sounds much better than what I'm about to say. Um, but but the, the, the film is about a guy called Luke. Luke is an independent young man with Down syndrome. Um, I'm giving nothing away. This is all in the setup and it's in the trailer. He's, he cares for his mother um, and his mother dies. She's an old feral lady. She dies and in keeping with her will, he is moved to a care facility, a care home for young adults with learning difficulties. Um, so the film is really about him dealing with that grief and dealing with that relocation and dealing with a re-examination of his own identity as somebody with a disability. Um, Duncan was very clear and has been very clear from day one that this is a film about ability, not disability. And if you approach the film in that respect, mm. um, and I don't want to guide people's reading of it in any way, really, but that's, that's really at the core of its intention, is let's don't focus on what Luke is dealing with as a character is somebody suddenly telling him he can't do something. When he knows he can do, he knows he can, he's been used to fending for himself and his mother for some years now. So, um, and I think that's a really interesting perspective that the story takes. And I think it's on really solid ground from that point on. Um, and then it's really, as all good dramas are, about the relationships that feed out of that, that new experience that is in. And unexpected relationships, you know, there's one that's more unexpected than another, but at the core of it is a, it's a buddy movie. And we, we see it as a buddy movie in one respect between, Luke, a guy from a working class background, you know, a council background, if you like, you know, ha having lift off benefits and having a disability, getting chummy with a guy who tends a garden at the care home, who's doing community payback, but which we, without giving too much away, we later learn has, yeah. is, is kind of to the man of born. So yes. not only, you know, in crude terms, you could say one is normal, one has Down syndrome, and they also come from different um, um, economic um, aspects as well but the reason why the tagline for the film is we're not so different it's lifted as, from a line in the film which counter repeat the guy who's, got, who's, who's um, doing community payback says to Luke 
Um, Says we're not so different, you and me. And it's it's one of the it's 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 for me is the line in the film which sums it all up. It's, it might sound a little bit airy fairy, but it's so important. And it's just it just goes back to that thing of deal with people as people. You know, go right back to you talk to me about producing and how did it come together. You know, don't look upon yourself as a filmmaker and someone else as a shop owner. You're both people with your own endeavours. You just try and find the commonality and there is common ground and I think that the film explores that um, and the, the, the common ground in, in my for a heart is an emotional landscape rather than a physical one even though there's a fantastic physical landscape in the incredible cinematography I think on the budget we had that Suzanne Salavati pulls off um, you probably asked me what we probably asked you what we shot on later, but it, it doesn't yeah. matter. I'm, yeah. It doesn't matter because the end of the day, it's it's what it looks like. Mm. I mean, it's the thing is now. I think that it's getting really a mute point when it comes to cameras because mm. you could shoot on an iPhone and it could still look great. Mm. And people who go to that film aren't going sitting there going, oh, "Well, this is an iPhone film." I, I, I haven't seen. It. Have you seen Tangerine? I haven't seen. I, it. I I've seen I've seen like clips and stuff of it. And yeah, that's it, the looks, one, it, isn't it? it looks great. Yeah, <laughs> I've shot an iPhone. Yeah, and, I know you have. And 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 then so <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and then I used it, and then I used it again for um, digital romance. Right. Okay. Right. I didn't know that. And nobody, you can't tell the difference. It, yeah, doesn't, no, it, it really doesn't matter what you film on these days. I think the bigger the, bigger the screen, the more you can probably tell. Although we've been on some big screens with my for a heart. We didn't shoot on an iPhone. Um, <laughs> but we didn't shoot. We didn't shoot. On, on, okay, so uh, creatively, mm -hmm. before I get off to your question yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that's what the, I've done what the film's about, haven't I? Yes. So, yeah, so yeah. creatively, um, I, I purposefully took a step back um, from the creative side of it. It's certainly initially for about the first six weeks, two months leading up to production, because there was there was just too much to go on with to 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 sit down and analyse and break down the script and give notes. First of all, there wasn't time to do that. I needed to get on with actually learning how to set up a business mm -hmm. <laughs> and learning how much it was going to cost me yeah. and the company. So um, and getting all those ducks in a row um, and getting our legal side of it all our papers, documents sorted out so we could issue when people were cast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the other reason for taking a back seat was, um, you know, rewind about two hours and we started having this conversation. <laughs> I mentioned that one of the reasons I wanted to get involved in producing was because I really enjoyed the conversation I was having with screenwriters. I still do. And that's still, apart from my feral heart, that's most of my daily work is spent connecting with writers, reading their stuff, having those conversations, I think it's the bedrock of any project. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that I, I got on board a project where Jane and Duncan have been having this conversation for 18 months. They had a really strong relationship. And it's, it's, it's difficult for all concerned, you know, suddenly a third wheel comes in. Um, so it's difficult for me, first of all, to find my feet securely enough to say, well, I'm here now, this thing you put in here, Get rid of that, that thing in there. Get rid of that. <laughs> but I'd never do it in those terms anyway. But just, you know what I mean. So I thought, well, those guys, I just have to put my faith in them because it, it was, was quite well developed then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, we, we, we did have conversations, <clears> and I did. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm never short of making my opinion known. Let's just say that. I think there was just one. I think there was one email in terms of uh, when we're getting closer closer to shooting where. 
I said, right, these are my notes as it stands, take them or leave them. Uh, and we had a lot of conversations about one area of the script in particular, um, which I contributed to. Um, but it was, it was really on a request by request basis. I, I, I didn't, and Jane and Duncan may disagree, I, I, mean, I, I didn't really make my, myself felt too harshly in that area leading up to production. Um, I made myself heard more in post, but then it's just about making myself heard. It isn't, it's not the sort of production where I can say, you have to do this because I've got, you know, the lead actor is, I don't know, Brad Pitt and he insists that you don't <laughs> use that shot. Or, you know, or there's yeah. loads of, there's millions and millions riding on this. This is yeah. a creative yeah. debut feature with, by a new cinematic voice. You know, we all know Jane. Mm-hmm. You have to look at her in those terms. You know, she, she's done very well in her short films and she's got a certain amount of bravery in terms of the kind of story she wants to take on. Mm. You know, there'll be nothing glib or throwaway in terms of what Jane does. Oh, she's, she, always, she's, she's always, she's always, she's always worshipped like the sort of Ken Loach. No, yeah, um, her, her, her thought, her thought and her sentiments are rooted in the humanity of social politics, yes. which I think is one way you could describe Ken Loach. So, um, so when you have that, it makes a mockery of it. If I stand there and say you can't do that, I mean, I have, to, I'm human, right? I mean, I've got myself invested in this film, and you know, I think, I think I got. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I say, I was quite vociferous in post from time to time, but I think even then it was maybe once or twice, and um, and then the chips land where they lie, and, and or lie where they land basically, and it's it's up to the director to take on board and the editor what you said, you know. Yeah. Fair enough. But um, yeah, so so not not so much mm-hmm. creatively, not so much on this one, although, yeah. I would hope, my hope is that I gave Jane the space to be, to be creative with her voice. That's where my creative role as producer came in, was to generate the space as producer's first aid data that she could do her best work where it mattered. I just wanted to ask, so there are, as, as well as uh, Stephen, there are other disabled mm. actors in the film. Now, from a purely um, sort of practical side of things, was there any sort of restraints? Like, if you had a child actor that they could only work for so many hours, or yeah, I mean, we when we first started scheduling, we decided to treat Stephen like if we were working with a minor, in so much as only eight hours on set. But it didn't really become an issue because. Um, there was maybe the odd day where he was on set longer than that, but not too many. And it was all through consent of his father that was always with him. Where it wasn't a concern was because we made the wonderful choice of shooting a film that is set almost entirely outside in November, um, which means that you're running around at 3.30 trying to save light. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself back in the green room drinking soup at 4.30 going, I believe this. It's ridiculous. So we were, we we probably only had you know from we meet for breakfast at about seven and then try and get on set by seven thirty eight, and so yeah, you're really only talking about you know once you've had an hour off for lunch, you're probably talking about eight hours maximum on set anyway. Yeah. Um, and Stephen, I would say, and I stick to this, um, Stephen. The, the biggest challenge I had with Stephen was not that he had Down syndrome, it was it was because he'd never acted before. I think. Jane had to pull different tools out of her directing box 
uh, in order to deal with that rather than him having Down syndrome. I mean, there were, that's my take on it yeah. from the outside looking in. Um, I think if you take anyone that's never acted on a film set before and has actually only ever work, acted in workshops with their mates, mm -hmm. that they would get on set and freeze a little bit. And then the director needs to find a way to get the, the, to get the shot to put in the edit that's going to work. Um, so, I, um, and yeah, Stephen would get, you know, Stephen would get a bit tired, and when he was off, he was off. That was yeah. pretty pointless trying to push him in that respect. Again, that's very different from a professional actor. He's a professional actor now. He's done a job and he's been paid. He'd never done it before, so it'd be interesting to see how he, how he behaves on a, on a set in future. But um, can I ask? Um, because obviously, you know. He is the central character. Ooh. He is the key to this entire yeah. story. Um, and I think having watched it, you know, it, it is actually a wonderful performance. Mm. But can I ask about how you actually, how, how you discovered uh, Stephen? Yeah, Jane, Jane found him. Um, like you say, there are other people with disabilities in the film um, that make up the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the residents of the care home, Blossom House. And... Um, what a fun day that was. I mean, no, really. Uh, but she, she'd gone to um, an Essex-based theatre company, an inclusive theatre company called Mushroom Theatre, theatre company, they're based in Rayleigh in Essex. And she went there to do workshops with the guys, really only to, um, to try and find the housemates for Blossom House. Um, that was it. But then that's where she met Stephen. And I wasn't involved at that stage. She phoned up Duncan and said, I think we found our guy. Now, to put this in context as to why she was even looking at that stage, even having one ear open or one eye open for, for someone who could possibly play Luke, they'd done auditions, I think. It might have been the previous month or something like that. So an enormous amount of people, I mean, for, um, I mean hundreds for the different other roles, for, 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 Luke, for Eve and for Pete. Um, I think less for the girl. Uh, I think Jane already had him. She'd already seen Pixie online and had thought that she'd be ideal. And then Pixie actually submitted for it. I think Shana got the part up against 800 other people. Will got the part up against, Will Rastle got the part up against 500 other people. 70 people turned out, I think I'm right in saying, for the part of Luke. And only two of them actually had Down syndrome. Right. Mm. Which I think was just, I mean, it's one of, it, it sort of highlights why. Duncan wanted to do this and why Jane wanted to collaborate with him on this because you've got agents sending people up for parts which is just it's just it's not to say people with without a disability shouldn't play a part that isn't it at all but be be sensible about this yeah. you know there's smoke and mirrors and then there's but yeah. you know people with Down syndrome have a certain look about them and you can't fake you can't fake that and that, and that wasn't actually the point of the, the project anyway yeah. so they hadn't found anyone at audition which is why then it was a godsend when Jane walked into Mushroom she, she met Stephen, hung out with him another time at another fundraiser after that. Then did a few workshops with him and then was like, yeah, this, this guy can do it. We did have a scare though. Yeah. And, it's, just, and it's, 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 it's wonderful phone calls you get. I say you get, I didn't get it. Um, I probably should have got it, but at that stage, the family had the relationship with Jane. Um, and it was two days before we were due to film. Stephen's mother phoned up. Jane and said, I think you need to find someone else. I don't think Stephen's going to turn up. And Jane was like, why? <laughs> and funnily enough, um, Penny Barb, who's 
a brilliant woman. She's done so much um, in Essex for people with um, learning disabilities. She started Mushroom Theatre Company. She had a quiet and honest word with Jane and said, I'm not sure. Or she goes, Stephen's brilliant, but we have put him in a few productions and on the night of each production, he's, he's not turned up. He's got the cobby wobble, collie oh. wobbles oh. and backed out. Um, and so this is what um, Hazel's, uh, Stephen's mum said to Jane, um, which is fair enough, but we didn't really do much about it at that stage. But he rocked up and he, and he was brilliant every single day. And his dad said that, you know, he was the first up five o'clock every morning, banging on the door, get up, you've got to take me to set. He loved it. And that's testimony. It's testimony to us, yes. We should back, pat ourselves on the back, but you know it. A film set's a big place, right? You've got like 20 other people doing 20 other different jobs. And to a man and woman, they all made him feel incredibly welcome. And that's partly because they're lovely people, but partly because Stephen's energy when he comes on set, hugs everybody, big smile on his face, wants to be there. It, it was, it, I never saw it coming. It was one of the collateral benefits that I would take away from making this film. And the day that we had with all of the Mushroom guys there in the care home scenes, um, we obviously had to shoot that somewhat documentary style. We couldn't really say, right, everyone, this is, you have to, you know, Tommy, you need to do this, Jenny, mm -hmm. you need to, you know, Rachel, you need to do that. Um, it was, it was a case of letting them go and enjoy themselves, and they did. And so it was quite a fretful day for me and Jane and Susie, who was doing camera work. Um, but I think they're probably amongst their favourite scenes in the entire film, and a lot of people say how authentic they look. Mm. And that's because people, were, they were generally, they're just being themselves, enjoying themselves, and they were given the freedom to do that, which, um, yeah, had it been, I don't know, even been like, a, it's, it's a school environment, and you had a bunch of kids, you probably would still try and control them to a certain extent, but we made the choice very early on. We'll control our lead actor and our lead actors, because Shana was in those scenes as well, but we won't control anybody else. They can just do whatever they want to do. Yeah. And they just had a ball, which is what they always do at Mushroom Theatre when they get together. They just have a ball and support each other, and that's mm -hmm. what they did on the day. So it was good. It's pretty for me, but good. It's more, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think, you know, the, the casting, I mean, it comes across watching the film, that energy and that passion and that enthusiasm you said he had, I think, sort of filters, you know, into the performance. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to see. I mean, uh, there, there, is a, there is a actress, a young lady by the name of, I think her name's Jamie Brewer, yeah. who... Um, uh, funny enough, we mentioned in our podcast with Jason, it's American, totally different, American, American horror, horror Story, yeah, the anthology. Okay, and, um, you, you know, she's she was cast in that and uh, is, is is wonderful in it, so it's, it's good to see. She's a real bright spark. I mean, um, I met her, I was fortunate, to meet, fortunate enough to meet her because one of the things that we have been, it's been a revelation to me, um, is the amount of, the, the size, the, region, the regionality, if that's a proper term, um, and the widespread nature of the um, Down syndrome and learning disabilities community, um, both in this country and the United States, is phenomenal and, and really quite awe-inspiring. The amount of on-the-ground support and um, promotion of awareness um, that people have um, so, for example, if you're in, I don't know, yeah, 
the boon dogs of America somewhere and they find out that you've, you've, you, your, your unborn child has got Down syndrome, there are people that you can talk to right on your doorstep. There always will be. I mean, it's, it's outreach is incredible. Um, so my reason I'm going on and on about that is when I was in America recently for our world premiere and I, we'd connected with a lady in Los Angeles called Gail Williamson who runs an organisation called Down Syndrome in Arts and Media. Um, through a meeting with her, we found out, we were trying to get a World Down Syndrome Day screening of My Fair Heart in Los Angeles while we were there because it was in March this is, and we were in California in March. Um, but the, the local Down Syndrome Associations um, had already organised their events and we couldn't get in. But there was an event that was screening a film called Kelly's Hollywood, which was made by an American actor-director whose sister had Down Syndrome, sadly died. Um, but before she died, he made this documentary about her wanting to be a Hollywood movie star and um, got her, basically got her, to, got her a one-woman show that she put on for an invited audience and... Yeah, so it's a lovely, lovely documentary, and that was the World Down Syndrome Day screening in uh, Sherman Oaks. Mm -hmm. So I went on down to Sherman Oaks, and uh, and yeah, Jamie Brewer was at the screening, and a good friend of mine that's also in the American Horror Story, Naomi Grossman, plays Pepper. Um, she was there by coincidence, and so it was a lovely day, actually, a lovely evening. And yeah, Jamie is this is all people. <laughs> this, this is a terrible thing, you know, and it goes for Stephen as well. And Sarah Gordy in this country, who's an incredible ambassador for people with Down syndrome. These guys have got Down syndrome. It's, 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 a, it's a medical terminology. It doesn't mean they can't do anything. Yeah. And this is what I discovered rapidly when I got involved with this film. Because I always say I never got involved in this film for altruistic reasons. I wanted to produce a movie with good people that had a good story. And this was the film I chose that fitted that. It was only in the aftermath of that that I suddenly realised Oh yeah, this is, as you said, Keith, this is quite unique. People don't normally cast people with Down syndrome in a lead role. But having met Jamie, having met Sarah, having worked with Stephen, uh, and met other people with Down syndrome, yes, there's, there's degrees of it. But there's degrees of ability within people that are termed normal as well. And it's... Those three people are, 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 are real bright sparks and they've really got a lot to offer. And again, we go back to this word ability rather than disability. A film like ours is there, and the achievements of people like Jamie and Sarah and Stephen are there to show people how able these guys are. Stephen's, Stephen's really finding his voice on tours. When we do Q&As, he's growing in confidence and he's really taking the stage, not just in... I mean, he's such a lovely chap. He, he always thanks everybody and he always gets emotional and he's so grateful having been given the opportunity. He's starting now to be really aware of how people, people see him and he's really, trying to, he's really finding his voice in, um, in an advocacy role. So where he's actually saying, I was treated really badly growing up because people saw me as having Down syndrome. I don't see myself as having Down syndrome. What do you see? He's actually confronting audiences with that question at Q and A's now. I find that incredible. I mean, I just find it incredible, and I and I find it so powerful. He did it at the East End Film Festival recently, where um, we sold out two screens. Um, never been done before. We showed on two screens simultaneously, so Stephen had to do two Q and A's basically, and we finished one, had to rush to the next because there were staggered screenings. And he tapped me on the shoulder and went, I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. And I was really frustrated. I said, all oh, right, was it the thank yous? We didn't get to the thank yous. He went, yeah, yeah. 
So I thought that's what it was. And we got to the second Q&A and we handed him the mic and it wasn't, it was an advocacy speech. It was basically, look, you've seen what I can do. Can you stop seeing me as an actor, with, as, as someone who's got Down syndrome and start seeing me as an actor? You didn't put it in those terms, but it's something we've been very clear about in our promotion is when you refer to Stephen, can you talk about the actor, Stephen Brandon, who has Down syndrome rather than the Down syndrome, syndrome actor. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a slightly incorrect, it's a correct label, but it, it emphasizes the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's an actor. He just happens to have Down syndrome. I'm a producer. I just so happen to have a cold today. <laughs> you know, so, so it's kind of, it's, it's, it's one of those well, things. This is the thing. I mean, he, he, he's been asked to carry a film and, and there's some actors out there, able body who can't even do that. Mm. You know. He, one more thing about Stephen, and it makes me giggle when I think of it because I can just see him on set and he's got this, so much of his character is in Luke. I mean, that's a question we get asked quite a bit. How much of, did you meet Stephen to Duncan? Did you meet Stephen to Jane? Did you meet Stephen and then incorporate his character into the role? Well, I think, um, Keith, you've done a lot of acting and you know yourself, you can't ever leave your personality completely away from the role. You can always bring part of yourself to it. So that was unavoidable. But yeah, he does embody the spirit of Luke really, really well. And there's certain things that are written in which are specifically Stephen. Mm -hmm. The tattoo, which has become a big thing in the movie for like the poster. And trailer. Fantastic <laughs> and trailer. And I feel, uh, he looks so damn adorable, that's the thing. I mean, how can you not? What a face, incredible. Um, but that's his, that's his tattoo. I mean, he has tattoos, which is why it was written in. It was one of those really cool things about him. It's like, and he is. I mean, you meet him, he's just a bloke. He's just a bloke. But, you know, unlike most of us, he's still got the ability to melt hearts by kind of like giving you a little grin and it's like you're with a five-year-old. You know, mm -hmm. he's got that adorable quality to him. But it's a quality. It's not a hindrance. I mean, it's, it's lovely. So, um, the, what was I talking about? Um, him, him getting on stage. Him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being well, well, yeah, it's making me all the lovely things about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of his great qualities as an actor, you want to cut the rest of that out. One of his great qualities as an actor is he doesn't move. Ah. Which, in, you know, yeah, someone's going, ah, yes. You know, and I was watching, I was watching, uh, I was watching a movie just yesterday, and there was an actor, wouldn't stop bloody moving. Mm. And I'm thinking, why was the director not telling this person? stop moving because not only does it screw up the composition that you've set up but it also looks like somebody acting yep. yeah it's hard to be still and do nothing i mean yeah. it is and that's one of the skills and of particularly screen acting but if you ever watch this film again look at it yeah because it's just it literally just and it gives looks that just just kill people because um i mean that in a good way in an emotionally good way because he can once you stop moving as an actor on screen, you command the you command the frame, and he does that effortlessly because that's how Stephen is in real life. He does he's not he's not a fidgeter, he's not a nervous character, um, and he, he does you know in the nicest possible way he does the bare minimum. It's like if I don't need to move, I ain't moving. And but that but that commands, it's a great instinct that commands authority. Yeah, and. Um, an interesting thing that Gail Williamson said, like I say, Gail Williamson is actually an, uh, an agent in, in LA um, for people with learning disabilities and other disabilities. She said, what people forget is Down, people with Down syndrome are actually perfect actors because 
when you've got a, a learning disability like that, from a very early age, you're given instructions. You know, simple instructions on how to deal with life. And so she said, what do you do to actors? You get in front of the camera, you give them simple instructions. They're, in the, they're, at, they're at home, she said. They're very much at home. And, um, you know, I'm always aware when I'm using the word they, because it makes it sound like someone different. But it's, it's you know, it's, that's in a positive context. Mm. Yeah. And Stephen certainly, certainly demonstrated that. Yeah. Well, the, the only examples I've ever seen, sadly, and hopefully mm. this will change and grow, is Stephen and obviously Jamie, as I'm obviously a fan of American Horror Story. Yeah. And, and, and if there are two examples, that, that is, yeah, mm. fantastic performances, you, you know. Well, <laughs> actually, there was a third example. We're not talking about lead actor or anything. Mm. Do you remember that we watched the documentary Lost on La Mancha? Mm. you remember oh, right. that Terry Gilliam had cast... Uh, one guy had Down syndrome, didn't he? It's right, one of the giants. Okay, and it was, about it, that. and it was yes. such, it was, it was brilliant because this guy was really shy and everything. But with Terry, because Terry Gilliam is, you know, he's an Extra animated fair. person. Yeah, and to get him to like be a, a giant and do all the, <laughs> all his face because also there was a language barrier because he's shooting in Spain, uh -huh. and so, but um, th this guy, um, I remember at the end of the documentary they were saying that this the. The, the guy playing the giant, he came out of his skin a bit more. Mm. You know, this was such a good thing for him. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, it's, um, I, I can say this, it's, it's, it is me, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. I feel like I've grown as a person from working with Stephen and, and his parents say that they've been blown away by how he's matured and how much more confident and um, outspoken he's become. You know, you know, his, his dad's classic example is he talks back to his mum now and he never used to. Uh, so, you know, so we might have caused problems at home. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But, um, I mean, you know, I've, I've been sat around the dinner table with Stephen and, and the rest of the gang a, a number of times. And in America recently, we had our world premiere at CineQuest in San Jose. And I was, I was you know, I'm always stressed out at festivals because... I can't just sit back and enjoy it. I feel like I should be doing something. Um, I don't know. Jamie's distracted by something. I think the prices were... It was an expensive restaurant. Um, Stephen's dad had become... Had quite a stressful trip there. We all had... You know, our brains were all elsewhere. And Stephen was the only one that was present. He was the only one that was at the table talking sense and actually asking everybody else to shut up or they listen to him because he had something to say. And... <laughs> We were all kind of uh, uh, wispy little whinges and moans, and Stephen was like, he was the only one that was talking sense. That's happened a few times. Um, so no, it's, 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 it's been fantastic to, to see that and to have Stephen's dad say that that is, that's come out of it. Um, and, and it's quite interesting. I mean, a, a main cap are a charity who are supporting the film. Um, ongoing conversations with them about how we might be able to help promote it and help promote Stephen rolling it for the benefit of other people in the community. And they recently had, in June, they had um, Learning Disability Week. And um, the theme of that was friendship and community. And, and this is a real key distinction to make. And one of the key things for people to be aware of is that, because I wasn't, um, something like the Mushroom Theatre Company, something like just involving... Um, People with Down syndrome in regular things that people get up to is is required because a lot, a lot of parents do go into their shell and they don't know quite how to deal with it and so the kids don't get out 
and the young adults don't get out. And so to have that outlet, I mean, Stephen's parents are brilliant. It's virtually every day of the week he's got something to do, whether it's helping out in the local stables or helping out at the local pub or whatever it is, or coming to Mushroom. But to be a part of our film, I think, for a month, and then beyond that, where everybody's quite rightly just treating it like one of the gang, I think has had, well, I've talked about his dad quite a lot about this, and he seems to think this is, a, this is quite a key contributing factor, is that he hasn't been in an environment where people are going, okay, Stephen, okay, all right, okay, let's just put you over here. Okay, we're back for, you know, we're back for in a minute. He's been the centre of it all, and he's been involved, and if we've gone down the pub, he's come with us, and, you know, and he yeah. does like a pint, like anybody else. So it's kind of, we've all made a really good friend out of Stephen, and I think he feels the same way, that it isn't like, we employed him to do a job and see you later. Like, it isn't that at all. Yeah. And I think he's become part of a community that, for that, you know, and you do, as we all know, it's an intensive process. So I think that might have helped. And that's not through any, anything specific that we've done, but just being a part of that, a process he never thought he ever would be. Yeah. I mean, I also wanted to ask about the, how it's been going with the festival run, because, mm. um, from what I've seen on social media, it, it has been doing really well in the festival market. Mm. So how's how's that been going for you? How what is it like to be in the middle of you know going from not only just festival to festival but country to country as well? Um, so far, we've only done America and the UK. I did do France. I didn't go to the one in Cannes, um, but there were um, yep. Yeah. Festivals are a tricky one. Festivals have been good to us. It's a, it's a much more, again, I make the distinction between that, features and shorts. With short films, it's, it's kind of okay to apply for 100 and go to 50 or whatever many you're lucky enough to get into, 20. It's a bit different with the feature film. It's a commodity and it's, there's a thing of the, there's a bit of the Pandora's box about it. You don't want to show it too many places. You want to try and be a bit selective about where you're showing it. Um, and I've still, I've still got, I think Jane's still got a little bit of the blood in this of short filmmakers where we're like, oh, I should be applying for loads and loads of festivals. And our sales agents, movie house, is like, look, yes, good. If you get into festivals, that's nice. And if you get awards, that's something we can work with. Um, but if you're out of competition and if you're doing too many festivals in the same country, then you start to devalue, it starts to become not a good thing. Right. And so, yeah, so we had a world premiere at CineQuest, which is, if you like, we were regarded as a second tier festival in the States. Um, we accepted that because we'd had a few rejections of the big five or six, probably everybody, everybody knows. Um, and CineQuest had been voted the best film festival in America by USA Today readers the previous year. So I had an accolade to go with it. We were fortunate enough to get the audience award there. We were invited to screen, didn't submit, to Fargo Film Festival. And they gave us an honorable mention for best narrative. So we went there. Um, and we are going to be going to Woodstock Film Festival just outside New York. It's a perfect fit for our film. And they love it. And we're in competition. Uh, in between times, we got invited to Edinburgh and to East End, two of the biggest ones in this country. East End, arguably, for independent filmmakers, yeah. the biggest one, the, the, the best 
place of a UK premier. So, but they weren't they weren't in competition. Sorry yeah. to cut across you, Simon. So, That's all right. but I'm just saying those uh, festivals actually invited you and not and you didn't apply for. No, the only one that invited us that we didn't apply for was Fargo. Oh, okay. So you had applied for Edinburgh and East End. Absolutely, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, and to Woodstock. Um, been invited by a couple of other festivals around the place, which I won't name because I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're going to go to them. So it's, it's it's a slightly different kind of beast that I'm I'm just coming to terms with. But I mean that's whatever that is. That's I, I think that's that's three very notable festivals and one which invited us and invited us to close the festival and gave us an award. And so myself and Stephen and his mum and dad went to that one. And when else am I going out to Fargo? I mean, it was that was it was it's actually my favorite. No offense, everybody, probably my favorite festival so far. I loved it. It was so peaceful, so quiet. People were so nice. And to close a festival is, is quite a thing. Oh, yeah, it really is quite yeah. a thing. And in a wonderful 90 year old theater in that town, and um, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, but you're asking me about the traveling, was that specifically with well, just with, with Stephen and his no, family, or no, just, just the, the journey I, of the film? I think because, uh, from my point of view, I see uh, your film having a, a successful festival run yeah. because you you are getting it into like uh, it may be not the biggest festival, but you're getting mm. into some quite big ones, and you yeah. you're also travelling with the film, which a lot of filmmakers may not do. I, th I think you need to. I think I think I mean you know especially if it's not a top. I mean if it's a top top festival, you're always going to travel anyway, right? But if it isn't, if it's in that second tier. Then how on earth do you expect people to remember who you are yeah. if you don't go? Was well, that in your budget? No. No. No okay. festivals aren't in the no festivals aren't in the budget. Um, through, I, I, we've managed yeah. so far submissions wise, we've managed to pay for all our submissions through the budget. Right. Okay. Um, it's one of these magical things when you get into the dark art of managing your cash flow with VAT returns and X, Y, and Z. You kind of I think that's the money that's become available for those. We budgeted um, quite a bit more for E&O um, &O insurance than we, than we needed. Um, so there's some stuff that's been ring-fenced, but it freed up a little bit of money. Um, but we're, yeah, we're, we're, down, we're down to zero now. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing in the tank anymore. So any more expenditure does come out of our own pocket. And short flights and accommodation and everything else, all of that yeah. came out of our own pockets. Yeah, it's it's rare for a film festival to actually, um, you know, put you up and pay for uh, transport. But Accommodation we're finding a little bit more helpful. A couple of nights, three nights at least here and there. Um, again, Fargo. I keep picking up Fargo. They gave us, they gave both <laughs> myself and the Brandon family free rooms for for four nights. So oh, I tell you what, the best experience I ever had with my film was with the Cornwall Film Festival. I mean, good things about that actually. Yeah, and but it was amazing. Cool. It was amazing from the point that uh, not only did they put me up for the night at a B and B, but they also got me a first class ticket from London to um, down to Cornwall. Nice. I know. I mean, it, it helped that uh, the, the, train, the train company was one of the sponsors, but still, I mean, it's like, wow, that's class. It's fantastic, <laughs> You know, yeah, I would have been very happy it, just to think, yeah, normal it's class. It's interesting, yeah, and just shooting the breeze as filmmakers generally, that's, mm. I mean, that's a really big thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah. when you get the support of a festival like that, like, even like when, when Fargo turned around and said, well, okay, you're in, you're in San Jose, we can't pay for flights, but we can sort you out with accommodation. Um, it's just it, it it just tips the balance. You go fine, yeah. All right, all right then. We'll, we'll go. 
Um, because you want to go, you want to go. It's not like you're saying, well, convince me because I can't be bothered. You can be bothered, but you're, we're all restrained by finances. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I had something else to say about that. But, it, but I mean, really I, help, and I, I had to fly to Orlando for a festival. And now I, I got, a, but the nice thing they did was they did a discount on the accommodation. And so I got a free ticket to the event because not only was it a film festival, there was a convention going on. Hmm. So I had uh, a free pass to that. So, and I thought that was my only screening I had over in the States. Uh, but I, I, it did so well because I met so many people and I got a whole load of reviews out of it. And wow. they were really positive. Who reviewed it? I've got a reason for asking this because we're, we're screening in Orlando this, in a couple of weeks. Well, actually. I... Uh, I got, uh, well, it wasn't through the festival that I got Dread Central, but um, uh, Dread Central reviewed it, and I had a Canadian company called Critical Film. I also gave that a hell of a review. Are these horror movie? Um... Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, that, that is the thing when it comes to, yeah. to genre, yeah. you know, the, the horror websites were picking up on, yeah. on the film. Yeah. But there's, there's, there's always going to be, I mean, I had the opportunity to actually go on local radio. <laughs> pick up the film. <laughs> we, had, we had that in San Jose actually. We went on yeah. San Jose University, whatever it's called, uh, radio, which is nice. Um, but press, I mean, I would say festivals, once you've got into a festival, I mean, there's two things. I mean, if, if, if there's anyone listening that's looking for advice, um, I, I, I sort of, I'm, work, I'm finding stuff out the hard way, as a lot of people do when yeah. they first come out with a feature. It's just, it's, I was talking to Keith when we haven't had a bit of a break recently that I'm learning it as I go. I'm not, don't want to sit here and sound like I know no, what I'm talking no, about. It, I probably don't. It, it's so that's good to get your thing. experience while you're still in the middle of it because, mm. you know, because well, I think a lot of people, they, they do make the, films and then, you know, they, they apply to so many festivals and they don't get anywhere and they just go. I think, mm. I think there's, I think, that, I think that you need, I think everyone needs to realise and I realise now I don't, I don't want to qualify that. I don't think I made any assumption, but what I do know now is that there's no film nirvana. There isn't like you kind of, you make a film and it gets into a festival and you go, great, job done. Or you get a sales agent and go, job done. It just doesn't work that way. There's, everything's a partnership. So any, if, if you get a sales agent, they're your partners and they will sell it. And how sales agents sell isn't necessarily how you would sell. There's still a role for you in that. In that, and you need to get that dialogue open. And then with festivals as well, you know, film festivals will, if you bring someone to the table, they will big you up. They will start to shout about your social media. They will really get, if they can see your film taken off at a festival, then they obviously will yes, get behind it as well. Yeah. But if you, if you just submit and you get in and you go, thanks very much, sit back and drink a beer, you know, with your mates around the corner go, oh, isn't it great, my film's such and such, then, you know, Financially, if you can't get there, you can't get there. That's not a criticism of people who don't go. I mean, there's real reasons why people yeah. can't get there. But if you can get there and you get more out of it, simply because you can, you know, reach out to press on the ground, you can talk to the publicity department on the ground, you can meet local people, bloggers, etc., etc., and you can get social media buzzing locally about it. I mean, social media is global, but if you're at a festival and if you're screening, as we were, if you're screening in San Jose or if you're screening you know, well, Fargo's a bit different because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> but if you're screening in San Jose and you've got loads of other movies to see and you want people to see yours, you need to somehow connect with that local audience. Yes. CineQuest do that really, really well. Um, but there's still a lot of work. There's a lot of 
like, really good movies. You know, it's a really well-respected festival. So in order to get you any press coverage for your film at all, you need to be seen at the delegate centre. You need to be seen at the local coffee shops. You need to be seen at the after-party events. You know, you need to need to work. Yeah. I had friends of mine who aren't in the industry that you know I'm putting stuff out on social media about the film and the email. And we're going, oh, it looks like you have a really good holiday. I'm not on holiday. <laughs> I'm working on stressing my nuts off every day. Thinking, what else can I do? Who else can I call? Which, which, which is the bar to hang out at today? You know. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's not. It's not, it's not like there are, It's not like there's not enjoyable things about that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, oh, ooh, poor little me. Oh dear, I'm out in California drinking beer with other filmmakers. What a shame. I'm not saying that, but that is. That, and some, some days I'm not in the mood to do that. Some yeah. days I'm much rather curl up in a ball and snooze or just go to the movies or just go to the beach or something like that but you can't you're there to work and you have to realise that well what was your experience at Cannes because I tell you my experience at Cannes was I didn't see one single film there I've never seen I've I've seen I've seen seen, in my whole experience of going to Cannes on and off for about 10 years my whole experience of going to Cannes I've only been four times yeah and I've only seen three films one of which was with Nail and I in 1997, I think it was their 10 year anniversary or something. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I don't think you and, saw it originally. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw a film called Kissed, which you may know, brilliant film about necrophilia. It sounds awful, but it's actually very touching and moving. Okay. And I saw, uh, I saw Mark Brown's film Heckle. I'm trying to think of the other, the other film that I saw. Maybe it's only, did I say three? I said three, didn't I? Not four. Uh, Three. Anyway, but no, I, generally speaking, no, yeah. I, don't, I don't get to see movies. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I didn't go this year because it came at a slightly bad time. I mean, we had Edinburgh and East End coming up. And in between that, this is where it gets serious, is you have the London screenings. Now, for us, Lon- the, 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 you know, that isn't something that's shouted about by the public. It doesn't get any news like Edinburgh might do or locally that East End might do. But the London screenings is one of the few film markets in this country and that happened we screened 17th 18th in edinburgh we screened 28th at east end and on the 22nd we screened at london screenings so that's three dcps around about there's three lots of promotion to get out and then the can film festival was happening like just a month before it yeah. i just didn't have it wasn't worth me it wasn't worth me it wasn't worth me going we, we were screening at um, a fantastic festival called entre de marche which happens at the same time as the main Cannes Film Festival. Um, and it's a short film festival for, for films on the theme of disability. Um, Sonny Boy had won the Grand Jury Prize two years earlier. So Jane had been invited back to be president of the jury this year. Oh, okay. um, and as part of that, they asked if they could show the film as a showcase yeah. of, of what Jane had done and a Q&A for the people that had, att- that had actually got into the festival. So it was a really, really lovely opportunity to be able to tell people at Cannes, we're screening at Cannes, if you want to come along, we have a screen. Um, but Jane was there, Duncan, our writer, was there and our sales agents were in town. So I made the choice that I was more useful at home, dealing with traffic, dealing with redesign the posters, getting the print run done. All of those things, you know, this is, again, you know, yeah. there's no film Nirvana, you know. Mm-hmm. You have, this is, these are all the things I have to keep ticking Producer's over. work is never finished, is it? <laughs> it? It really never is. Oh, yeah, and the other thing was, yeah, our, our, our year-end accounts have to be submitted. Oh, damn. In the middle of, of, of May as well. My first time of doing it, I had to help with an accountant, obviously. But these things, these are all things that derail you a little bit in terms of just getting on with yeah. having a jolly. So yeah, can can can's a fun one. Can is always useful, yeah. 
if you can afford to go for a couple of days because you'll always meet somebody who you can maintain contact with. But I think I think it's better if you've got a project that you're focused oh, yeah. on, yeah. really. Otherwise, you're just farting on the breeze of it, to be honest, along with everybody else. Well, but, yeah, but it's a nice busman's holiday. Oh, this you've is got it. the time I'm, and the money to do it. it. It's, it's wonderful. You go all the way to the south of France and meet all these people from London. That's what infuriates me. <laughs> There's people saying I'm meeting with these, you know. Yeah. There's some people getting in touch with me saying, um, no, it's, that's not a bad thing. We're just sort of saying, oh, can we, you know, give us your sales agent's contacts, can I meet with them? Like, you can meet with them anytime. They're probably going to be quite busy in care. Why don't you, why don't you meet them in London and you'll, that's fine. I know, this is weird. They, they seem to sort of narrow in onto that, that date of care. But there is, some, there is something else, and which is um, a journalist said to me, um, who writes for one of, the, one of the broadsheets, and he said to me, he would go and see, he's based in London, he'd go and see the film in Edinburgh. I said, well, we're showing it at East End as well. If you'd rather see it there, come and see it there. He said, no, you know what it's like, mate. You know, I'm more likely to see something if I'm away from home. If I'm at home, I'll probably stay home and cook and watch the football or something. You know, so it's that kind of, it's that, it's that kind of attitude. So I can understand the mentality. You know, there's a reason why everyone's people go to Cannes for a reason, and they're all on. Yeah. Whereas in London, some people are on, some people are off. You know, life is happening around it. Whereas Cannes, a little bit like, a little bit like that island in in uh, Pinocchio, where all the naughty boys go and turn into asses. <laughs> 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 that is so true. <laughs> but it, the, the other thing I always liked about, I do like about Cannes, is that you do actually feel part of the film community, which is weird. We have a, we do have a big film community in here in London, but you don't really feel much part of it. But when you're in Cannes, suddenly you're all together in one place, and you're like, oh wow, all these other well, people I've never met before. I think I think you can quite easily feel a part of it if you. I mean, there's so many events that go on. I mean, that was one of the nice things about doing Feast on Film, to be honest with you. Yeah. Again, yeah. Um, my, you know, the film is made by community. It isn't made by individuals. Honestly, it isn't. And so Feast on Film was a monthly... And I had to go out and meet new filmmakers. I had to find new films. I had to, you know, and I had to interview new talent. And the way Feast on Film worked, generally speaking, was people... There was a handful of people that would return week, you know, month on month, but... Generally speaking, there'd be like maybe half a dozen people that always came. And then if you had 30 people every month, it would be because 25 people have come to support the films that are on that month. Yeah. So it's generally speaking, quite a new audience almost every single time. But I have to say, when um, going to Feast on Film and uh, Brainhound run by Mark mm. Brown, you know, the, the community that I have now built up around me, that's where I met most of yeah. them. I mean, there's, there's, I think there's very little people that I know before. It's, it's this weird thing with me because there's my life before the feature and there's life after the feature. Mm. And before the feature, I knew a lot of people, you know, and those people kind of fallen on the wayside. I mean, I've still got a few friends from that time, but majority of my filmmaking friends now are from after the feature film. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it has been, you know, Partly because I'd made a feature film and you know I had something to show people, mm. and also the fact that you know screening events like Feast on Film and um, mm. and also I think also because the quality of my work drastically improved. Mm. I mean I've I made some great shorts before the feature, but I I don't know what it was about the feature that focused me more 
but I, that you can you can see there's a there's a change. I can see there's a change. Well, you made your, you probably made your feature around about two thousand eight nine. Uh, 2007 I made it but it yeah was, there's a huge you know this is yeah. better than I do a yeah. huge technological shift which made but Milkman then, was shot in 2008 yeah and um, the DP on that the wonderful Gavin Fry told me in, in post oh what a shame look at this stuff I shot on the on the you know on, on the new DSLRs that become available it's, but it's not that it's not well it it's was not, for cost wise it was yeah. and for look it yeah. was for well, me yeah okay there's, there's, you can achieve yeah. a filmic look now with technology, which you know before you you had to get so many adapters and all this kind of stuff, all you had exactly. to shoot on film. But also, I think just the sort of level of work, and also sort of narrowing in on it as well, because a, a lot of my earlier work is kind of baggy. I mean, I, I look at the run times, and they were like ten to fifteen minute shorts, mm -hmm. and then after a feature, I made one that was you know, less than three minutes, mm. and you know eight minutes seven minutes eight know. minutes is a great length for a short and uh yeah i mean i, I, I think i mean getting getting the conversation back to perhaps people might find useful about yeah. filmmaking for features if they're interested is i do i mean i think that um people are making features now on the budgets that some people were making shorts on yeah and um yeah, it's all be, the micro budget feature now is, is I would or I would I would dare to suggest because of the lightweight technology, you know, we shot on a C three hundred C three hundred, cooked Pancro lenses, so they weren't cheap. I mean, the body was re relatively okay, but the, the, I wouldn't I don't think we saved a huge amount of money to be honest shooting yeah. on the C three hundred. But, but it was again, more about yeah. operability. Yeah. A lot of the film was handheld. Okay, so we've got. Um, this isn't a sexist comment. We've got a, a, a female director of photography operator. Anyone knows Suzanne Salavati? She says nothing of her. Um, but she shoots a lot of documentaries uh, around the world and she's used a C300. A lot of the visual style um, that Jane wanted, partly down to finances, partly down to wanting that look, is handheld. So if you're going to be eight hours a day in all sorts of weather, you know, doesn't matter who you are, you know, don't, don't, don't go, don't. Give yourself a heavy rig, yeah. so so Susie set herself up for success with that, and Jane didn't want. We were offered the Red Dragon. She didn't want something that was that high res. She didn't want something that was that crisp. She she wanted something that would have natural artifacts, mm -hmm. which would make it dirtier. So we went for the C three hundred. Now this this the point of that is it's it's digital. It's lightweight. Um, you record in HD, so you haven't. Yes, you have to, to, to download your DIT. Your DIT overhead becomes less because you're not shooting on, you're not shooting as much hard disk drive space, memory yeah. card space as you yeah. might do if you're using the Red Dragon, for example. So this is why I think the mentality, you can shoot a movie as we did with, you know, a high-end short crew. You shoot a feature and you can shoot with some of that mentality and you get a really good feature project product at, at, the, at the end of it. And I think, and I think that's, that was a distinction I was trying to make. I think in 2007, 2008, it was more difficult to do that because I, I shot on digital video with 60 millimeter lenses with an adapter. That's an awful lot of glass and yeah. God knows what else. In front of what's a really fast um, receptor. Uh, processor, or processor, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So you need to light it like you like with sixteen it, mil. So yeah. your your quality, your 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 economies of scale, which you can enjoy with digital filmmaking, 
aren't there or weren't there yeah. and the results you're getting aren't actually as good. So, um, <laughs> or there's, there's, you run the risk of, that's happened to my short, yeah. shooting for a day when everything's out of focus. Oh, so, yes. that's another story. You know, yeah. we, well, uh, I, I experienced that with my features. We, we've, yeah. all, we've all done it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think, you know, apart from the strength of the performances, that, that was one of the, the strengths of this film is, mm. is I thought it had a really good look to it. And it was trying, you know, as you as you pointed out, Jane didn't want to go sort of overly showy with it mm. because let's be honest, it's, it's not about that. It's a it's it's, it's very much a drama, and um, uh, but but in terms of in terms of your your casting and your acting, I mean, uh, I thought the actress that played Eve mm -hmm. was very strong. I understand she used to be in EastEnders, which I've never watched, but um, yeah, she was. Uh, I, I don't know EastEnders well enough. I should know really be able to tell you what character it was. I don't. Um, but yes, she was. Yeah. Um, along with Joe Swash, a brother. They were in the same family in EastEnders, so actual brother and sister playing brother and sister right. in EastEnders. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, J Jane and Duncan were very clear um, when they were casting it. Jane, obviously, the director, was very clear that um, we, we didn't... I forget who it was now, which is probably just as well, but I think there was another actress or actor, call them all actors these days, don't we? But... Um, who were considered for a part who were more famous than, say, Will Raston or Sharma Swash, but that might have helped in terms of, you know, sales. So this may seem retrospectively a naive thing, but, you know, Jane was, Jane was just sort of like just solely interested in who was best for the part. Mm. And I think that's why the casting is so strong in the lead roles. And I think it's right. And again, you know, we talk talking about how micro-budget filmmaking is, is empowering filmmakers and to replacing the short film to some, to some degree. And I say to some degree because the cinematic look of the film and some of the themes explored in the film are explored by Jane and Susie, the, Susie Suzanne Salavati, our DOP, in a short film called Twitcher, which Jane made the year before <clears throat> making My For Our Heart, partly as an experiment in the same landscape similar sort and kind of match up in terms of casting and similar sort of themes. So they had their language down on that short film for very low cost before going into an intensive period of working on the feature film, which, you know, so, I mean, that's really clever, right? I mean, yeah. she had another short film to her name that went, did well at festivals because people knew her from Sunny Boy and because Twitch is a good film in its own right and also developed a language for talking to each other and for shooting for My Fair Heart. So, um, we got away from casting there. But yeah, you're quite right. And, you know, we talked a lot about Stephen and how good Stephen is. But the chemistry on screen is, and his performance is lifted um, by um, the unwavering support of Will, Shana and Pixie, who, um, I mean, he'd rehearsed... And the mother. The Eileen Pollock. Mm. What a legend. Mm. I mean, uh, we had two legends on screen that played mothers. We had Eileen Pollock playing Joan, who is Stephen's, Luke's mother in the film, Stephen's mother. Yeah, she, she did that. She was there for a day. She did that all in a day. And uh, we had, likewise, I had Susanna Hamilton, who played um, Pete's mother, Margaret. I mean, you won't know their names, but they have names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and Susanna Hamilton is one of those faces where, I mean, Eileen, Eileen Pollock, in case people don't know, used to play Lilo Lil and Bread. 
And so those of us that were kids in the 80s, 80s yeah. <laughs> oh, don't recognise her, but what a legendary character. Yeah. And, and she's just such a magnificent... She's a magnificent woman, Eileen. We love her to bits. And I don't know whether to say this or not. I will say it because it just shows what a legend she is. But on the, the, the house we shot in, um, I thought I was being clever as a producer. We, we, <laughs> we rented a house for a month, which the production designer would live in and dress. And dress. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of other crew would live in. And we'd only, we were only shooting in it for a couple of days on the schedule, three or four days, three, three days, I think. And um, but it became apparent very quickly that there was a problem with the house, and the heating wasn't working. And then on the day that I leave, so they had to move out and go to B&Bs and all sorts, and it ended up costing money. But I, 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 on the day Eileen was there, unbeknownst to me, what hadn't been communicated to me was there was no hot water in the house, and there's oh. a bath scene. Yes, there yeah. Are two bath scenes in, 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 in the film, one, one which echo each other. I can't talk about the second one. <laughs> Duncan will kill me. Um, but uh, both, both our actors that were in that were actually legends. Eileen, obviously, you know, not a young woman. And we did boil kettles and stuff, but it still wasn't ideal. Um, and actually, you know, Jane was very upfront from the beginning. You know, Eileen will do this part, but just so you know, you will be naked in that bath. So obviously it was a closed set. Yeah. But Stephen was in there. She didn't know Stephen. And fair play to Stephen. He got on with a job in hand. Just didn't bat an eyelid. Oh, I, I, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I had brilliant. A, a similar story um, working with Louise Jameson. And <laughs> she, she came in and the, in the script, there's like, there's no dialogue. I think there's about one line. And it's... It, it, my idea when I was writing it was that it would be like a quick series of cuts and that'd be it. So the idea was that she comforts her daughter in, in the film. This is for Modern Love. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then sort of cut away to a, a, like a cup of tea, you know, pouring tea into a cup. And then we go back to the they're drinking tea and everything's fine. And between Louise and the main actress, Vivian, they improvised this scene and it was amazing to watch happen in front of you because they hadn't met, they hadn't done anything together, and there was this really powerful scene that now lasts like you know three minutes. And and the thing I loved as well was that Louise was still able to get my line All right. into the into this <laughs> improvisation, you know. I was just like, I was it was amazing, and she she was there like for an hour, and then she was gone. This, this is what a lot of young actors, I'm not being condescending mm -hmm. at all, and, and most young actors, young and old, are, are built from the same stuff. But it's just good to see that after doing so many things, I mean, Eileen, for example, has been in everything, for example, from bread to far and away to you name it, yeah. anything Irish she's in. Um, and then the other actress we had on board who's got a real, got a really great CV is Susanna Hamilton, and we were struggling we had a couple of options we were trying to find for playing Pete's mum and dad. Bit parts, right? I mean, yeah. they literally pop up and they disappear again, but we wanted to make sure they landed with gravity. And um, we're, we're literally like two or three days away from filming. In the middle of the shoot, we haven't, this day's coming up, we still haven't cast yet. And actually, another dear friend of the film community has supported Feast on Film, lives in this area, Crouch End, um, Jane Frisbee. Had been had been in touch by coincidence, saying, "Look, if you um, if you need any help, I'm doing some casting for um, 
I've met, I think I reached out to her before and then she sort of quite timely, she got in touch and said, oh, Susanna Hamilton's got in touch and she's interested in working with new talent. And I thought of you guys and I saw the headshot and I was like, oh, I know that face. I know that face. It's one of those faces where you go, I've watched movies and I know that face. Yeah. And looked up her credentials and sure enough, she's the co-star of 1984 with Jonathan Hurt. And you're like, ah, <laughs> it's amazing. And she's been, you know, she's oh, the co-star of Out of Africa with, with Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. You're like, oh my goodness. And she's in like, a, like one scene that's about a minute long in my for a heart. And what was amazing about her is I sent, I finished filming, we're two days away from filming by this stage, so I finished filming and I, and I, and I Jane said, oh yeah, she's sent her the script, sent her the script, she's interested, send her the script, I go to bed. 7 a.m. I wake up, I've already got an email from her saying, love it, wanna do it. Again, this is gratitude thing, he's like, what would I have done if like, you know, I've got, literally I've got like 32 hours before I need her on set and there's, and I still haven't got someone. Yeah. And she, she went for it and she was absolutely brilliant. Came down and, and, and has been so supportive since and said great things about it. So, and her experience. So, you kind of, um, yeah. I mean, to, to, to the older members of cast, the more senior, senior members, let's say, and um, really brought it home for us. And in small, small, obviously, Susanna's role was smaller than Eileen's. Eileen's role is, is integral to that setup being successful at the beginning of the film, and it's just mind-blowingly good. And Susanna just pops up. But from the minute you see her through the, 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 the car door, there's something in the eyes. He, he's recognisable and familiar, and that's not just down to what she's done before, but it's just down to having screen presence, which you just can't replace. Yeah. And it looks like you never lose. Which is a nice thing. Yeah. It's good. I, I mean, this is the thing for, for not just for the actors, but but for filmmakers as well. And um, you, you know, I've I've been guilty of this as a filmmaker in the past. Mm. Is uh, so, some filmmakers become you know such control freaks and they just want mm. their actors to do things the way they've got it in their head. Uh-huh. But often, if you um, if you allow an actor to bring what actors bring to the the material, you can come up with gold, just oh, like yeah. you were saying yeah. with um, oh, I, Louise Jameson. I've, had that, I've we were, had that experience before. And we were at the yeah. same, you know, kindly enough to invite me to the BAFTA screening of Tyrannosaur, and we had the uh, Q&A oh, um, right. with Paddy Constantine afterwards, and he talked about, uh, he just wanted, to, as an actor, he liked it when a director let him play, is what he called mm. it. So he, that's how he terms it, is he tries to create an environment where actors can play. And I think you're right, and that is that's absolutely the case. It certainly was the atmosphere on set for my for our art, and I think it's, um, and I think it's right, and I think it's, I, I think it's good and proper to always apologise to an actor if when you get to those close-up moments where you're like, really sorry about this, but you really can't move. <laughs> you really, yes. and 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 we're going to call you directions off camera for when you can move to your right and how far you can move to your right, and this is just a technical shot. This is not about performance. I think it's right to apologise because yeah. you're not. Hey, well, talking, you're explaining. You're not talking. Front, you're not so. talking to their craft then. Yeah. And that's the thing about it being. These films are made by an individual. They are made by a community, and every single one bring their own craft to bear on your final product. So if you don't respect their craft, then you you know you you're running the risk of people not not bringing their A game, and that's not because they're being idiotic. It's because you're not letting them. You know. Uh, an actor is a craftsperson, so is a lighting person, so is a sound guy or lady. You know, they're all bringing their own thing. Sound person. Sound person. <laughs>
They're very sad. <laughs> very sad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, are you able to talk about, um, you know, what's next for, for James Rumsey and Rum Jam Films? Oh, holy moly. Do you know what? <laughs> uh, I've been so lucky. I've, 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 um, I've met some really interesting people on the journey so far. And, um, you know, I guess quite rightly, I'm always too modest and people tell me off for this. Uh, you know, people have met me on and that produced a feature film now, so people are like, oh, I've got a script, oh, I've got a script. And it's not just people on the Never Never, it's people that are actually doing stuff out there in the world of filmmaking. So it isn't, you know, I'm really, really grateful that people have put stuff on the table. And the frustrating thing at the moment is uh, we have so few resources and wire for our heart, and it's at such a crucial stage, I think, well, it's how I feel about it in terms of what we do next with the film. Because we, I was hesitant about the film festival thing because um, in one way I'm relieved that our agents have said, look, don't overdo the film festival thing because that takes one pressure off me. I haven't got to keep looking for film festivals to think of where do I get the money from to submit. Yeah. Um, but the added pressure there is when you get into the world of feature films and um, people start talking about them as being fresh or not and you know certainly a year from now we probably won't be fresh anymore so you're looking to in the next 12 months do all of the sales that you can get done um, so that adds a new pressure and um, we talked about press I found it very very difficult to, to get press in the right way people will do an article about the film in terms of talking about disability yeah but then there's no review at the end of it and that doesn't really help our sales agents so um we're getting to the point now um it's, it's a very unkind landscape in terms of distribution deals which is something else i'm learning it's just a real kind of like no film nirvana go back to that again it's yeah. one of those things where you go oh someone's interested in the distribution and they go yeah but they want to take your house and your girlfriend into the deal, which is basically how it feels. They want everything. It's like you can't. Look, there were people listen to this going, "Oh my God, he's so naive. How did he not know that?" Well, but this is the this is the grim reality. The, yeah. the, the theatrical deals, this side of the pond and the other, are like this. If they take theatrical, they want at least a slice of your ancillary rights, and that could be VOD, sell through, and even TV, because TV is like the golden goose, really. Yeah. Um, one of the only things that may actually pay an advance of an NG. So these are things that I've learned. Um, the upside, and, and, and without a theatrical release, both that side of, you know, in, in America and here, what press say is, well, when's the release date? If you haven't got a release date, then why am I reviewing it? Yeah. So it isn't like we haven't got people that want to watch it and review it, it's that they're like, well, I can't review, I can't, what am I going to say? It was at a festival, I don't really care. There, so, are, there are certain magazines in this country, we'll name nameless, but will not review a film unless it has a theatrical release. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and you need theatrical releases, and you also need, there's a tipping point, you need a certain amount of theatrical, theatrically paying audiences before sell-through even becomes a possibility. So you can forget about having your DVD in Tesco's or something, if that is what you really dream of. 
which quite frankly, why not? I mean, at this stage, I'm like, I'll sell it anywhere. <laughs> just, just buy it. No, we're not at that stage yet at all. Yeah. But yeah, you know, a conversation with another independent producer, she was saying, yeah, you know, um, we had to force through, we had to basically fund an independent release so that we could get a, a sell through DVD deal. And um, a theatrical release also not only gets press, but it also helps you know, a broadcaster will look at it and go, oh, right, so it was released. Oh, these are the theatrical reviews. Oh, it will become, it's all part of the game. Now, again, I'm sure there are people sitting out there that haven't even produced a film that are going, this guy is so naive. But it's a date, it's a hand-to-mouth thing when you're making a movie. It started mm. off with, do I like the script? Yes. Then it's like, do I like the people? Yes. Do they like me? Oh, yes. Oh, we're going to make this, we're going to make this. So then you're trying to make it, then you make it, and then you're trying to post it, and then at the same time, you're doing all the other day-to-day stuff that goes in running a film. Then you find yourself doing the standard thing. I've got a sales agent, so now I'm doing festivals. And you have, and all the way along, and then things just keep revealing themselves each step of the way. So um, I, forgive me if I sound naive, but it's been a real education in a really good way. And I think we've been finding out about things in time to do something about it. Well, exactly. I mean, when I made my film, you know, I thought, well, once it's made, I sell it, done. Mm. And it's not. And it's, you know, it's coming up to nearly 10 years since mm. I made it. And I'm still, you know, pushing the film, still selling the film. Well, now, now, now um, we're in a wonderful world of um, independent filmmakers being empowered by the um, avail- yeah, availability of self-distribution. Now, it comes a double-edged sword, really. Yeah. I mean, because it's so available, it means it's so much more competitive. So... You, Every man and his dog can upload a, 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 their film to Amazon and or YouTube if you want to go that way because you can monetize through YouTube. Um, but then you have slightly slightly less universal models which you, which you can go through. Um, we're looking, we're strongly looking at as one of our options. We haven't exhausted um, actually having a theatrical distributor yet, but it's it's weighing up the pros and cons. Yeah. Um, but there's a wonderful organisation called Our Screen in this country, um, more internationally is a, is, a, is a website called TUG, TUG with two Gs. And they're, and some of you know what they are, but they're, they're, they're basically platforms that, that enable you to um, suggest to the going public that they might want to see your film at the local Crouch End Picture House, which is a possibility. You can actually do that through, through our screen. What both these organisations have is relationships with cinemas across the UK and elsewhere, yeah. if you're TUG. But yeah, and it's just, you know, well, that they will take a cut <clears throat> of your pro- profit. The cinemas that take part will take a cut of your profit. It splits, the easiest way to explain is it, pr- it splits down about three ways a third, a third, a third. But it's like crowdfunding for cinemas, yeah. Yeah. For, for cinematic screenings. Yeah. Um, but these cinematic screenings then count towards if you want to be considered for a BIFA or a BAFTA or a sell through. They're not, they don't, there isn't a distinction where they go, oh, right, well, Curs uh, and artificial eye didn't distribute it. You did it. Mm, not interested. There's no distinction. Yeah. Did a paying audience go and see your film yeah. at about six to eight screens? If they did, box ticked. Yeah. Away you go. Depending on how successful those or the or the, the method in which you do yeah. those yeah. dictate how much money you spend. Yeah. Um, I just want to say about Picture House because Picture House has been known for doing independent releases. Mm-hmm. They've actually shown uh, films, say, at like a local cinema to the filmmaker mm-hmm. and they've had 
they've done really well that they then moved them onto other screens mm -hmm. nearby. So, you know, Picture House has been, you know. Yeah, the, 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 we've the, got plenty, plenty of plugs in for Picture House, which <laughs> yeah, is no, good I as mean, we're here. But, um, they are a big supporter uh, of our screen. And I do, yeah. I want to finish off with the our screen thing, first of all, because if you, if you go to the, they're, they're great chaps as well. We've met them. And if you, if you go to their website, if you've done a crowdfunding before, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very, very intuitive website in that respect. And, and where crowdfunding is very difficult, I mean, it's not like it's easy to do screen, but where crowdfunding is more difficult is that you're just saying, give us some money, mm -hmm. and then there's an array of different perks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas it's so result-driven mm -hmm. with screen or Tug. And I do keep mentioning Tug because they are an option. They're not as widespread in the UK as screen are they? You're basically saying to someone, we're making available a screen of a film in Bristol, in Birmingham, in Manchester, in Edinburgh, in London, and there's a threshold. Once X amount of seats are sold, that screening happens. Once there's no loss to the cinema, yeah. mm -hmm. that screening will happen. And it's, it's, I think that empowers, as a, as, a, as a member of the public, it's not like I'm going to give them 10 quid and maybe at some point down the line I might get invited to possibly a crowdfunded screening or I might get a poster through the post or I might get you know some stills through the post I'm going to actually go and see a movie in yeah. a couple of months time yeah that's very real and it's very close by and it's very tangible and it's something we and do that's we, and that's what we all want I mean yeah. I, I don't think um, as a producer I don't think you, you are naive at all because I think um, <laughs> I'm less naive no but I, but, I, but, I, but I think it, it's weird because you never stop learning um, but this this business, this film business, it mm. is it is unlike any other business out there. You know, particularly when you you know most things you, you have a product and you know you sell and all this. But the thing that's weird with the film business is there are things that that are closed-minded and have always been the same uh -huh. and and never change. But at yes. the same time, the landscape that we're in, as you've rightly said. Is is ever changing and ever evolving, and um, yeah, oh, I, you yeah, know, it I, really I is. Give you a good you example. Know. When I was making Blood and Roses, everybody was saying horror films. You can sell a horror film easy. Mm. And they still I, say that. They, they still, still say, say that. that. <laughs> but the problem is, at the time of making it, it was kind of true. They would buy any kind of horror film, and then we had the recession hit. Uh, unfortunately, I spent so much time post production that the landscape completely changed. So when the film was ready and it was being seen by distributors, they were getting very picky. And they just wanted stuff that they could go, right, pigeonhole. This is, uh, you know, girls being chased by a monster. Yeah, and my might... film wasn't that. My, it was a horror drama with vampires. Yeah, but if you cast someone from Hollyoaks or a high school musical and, and killed oh, them I was off. getting that. I was getting, yeah. oh, oh, you know. That's you should, really you should look through FHM. Yeah, totally. and get and get and get an, you know a model from that as your as your lead. Well, leading on from that, you're okay. quite right. It is as cynical as that, and the new landscape is a powerful tool. Yeah, if you know how to use it, and I'm there's so many facets to it. And yeah, so there's a real science to it which I don't understand, and some of it you can like any audience you can never you can never second guess. Yeah, it's not but, an exact science. No, exactly. But yeah, you might you know if if you've got okay, so so. What what is a currency to distributor now is is likes on Facebook and follows on Twitter, right? And that goes for if you're a film. So we're really trying to push that at the moment, and it's really difficult to know how to. There's people that understand it more than others, and I'm trying to talk to some of them. Uh, and 
So getting them up. So if you, if you can demonstrate that you've got 10,000 people that are following you on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, all of them, then a, then the distributor will go, oh, okay. And this is quite an easy number to, you know, they can, they can see that you've got an audience. You can actually see it. Um, second level mailing list. Um, so please, by the way, anyone who's listening, <laughs> this is my I, this is my opportunity to be brazen. Is there something else that I've learned is to be brazen? I was far too nice before, but please, 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 if you're at all curious about this film, My Feral Heart, find it on Facebook, find it on Twitter, find it on Instagram, follow and like. And on Facebook and on our website, which is myferalheart.co.uk, you can find a link to our mailing list. Probably the most powerful tool you can have and something we've only just started to compile in anticipation of an independent release potentially. So, you know, there are we, form, we, there are form of diet marketing. Yeah. We would have given you this opportunity at the end. No, we, but we always, we always ask but every this. person who comes on where, we, where <laughs> people can contact you or, you know, any websites, any social media because we... But in, we my, in my inclusive social. role in this conversation, <laughs> I'm trying to say this is... This is, this is, this is, this is, these are the new tools in action. This yeah. is, this is it. This is the reality of how it works. You know, a, a film like ours can make a real difference if, you know, in the next month or two, you know, at the moment we're, we're getting close to 2,000 likes on Facebook and uh, Twitter's not quite as impressive at 1,300 at the moment. If we can double that, yeah. you know, then, then, then it starts to, starts to look like a really, really good option as, as you know, a niche movie it might be a little bit of a sleeper hit to some extent for yeah. a distributor to, to either program for their broadcasting company or do do a kind of video on demand um, deal with, or even theatrical, because we haven't yeah. written that off yet. Um, but that's a powerful tool. Now, that's something we need to build up for ourselves if we're going to do that independently, and it's something that we need to be able to build up and hand over to a, to a distributor if they're, do, if they're doing it. You know, so that's what I mean about there's no Nirvana. Like, no. If, if, some, if we don't do it independently and someone else comes in and says, we want to do a theatrical, we don't, I, don't sit, I don't suddenly go on holiday. No. I, I, well, I might do. But, <laughs> I, but, I, um, but the odds are, the reality is they're unlikely to give us an advance because people just don't anymore. And it's really grim. I mean, I, I hate the fact they don't. Yeah. Okay, so from my, my, naive, my naive heart will say, it's actually quite a logical art. I don't quite get how the film industry, and you say it's an odd situation to be in. Would it happen in any other industry? No, there, there wouldn't. Where people would go, okay, don't, you don't have to risk anything. You know what? You can just have it, and if you make some money, we'll just take a bit. I mean, it's insanity, really. But somehow the industry has allowed, it's been allowed yeah. to happen. And it's been allowed to happen because we are, we are unfortunately, the, the beck and core at the mercy of market forces. Yeah. Um, and so we're in a buyer's market with film yeah. because it's so available. Because you know, it, you, it, is, you, it is crazy, isn't it? It's, it's, the it's the a, people it's who a, actually make out. money in this industry are not the people who actually make the product. It's like if you look at anything, it's getting tough. To, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's always been the case. I mean, look at film festivals. You pay to submit uh -huh. your film, and they may not even show it. So mm -hmm. already, they're making money. I, I don't know. That's another podcast. That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of those. Yeah. But, but the thing is, so at the end of the day, the last person who may see a penny from their film is the filmmakers. Because even if you get your film, say, you know, on VOD or T, there's always, there's always sort of a chain to get there. But it's, it is funny that, you know, say if I was like, you know, Dyson, 
Dyson sell, you know, Dyson's like, you know, millionaire, billionaire, mm. you know, making vacuums. And yet... And he, bikes he, now. Yeah, but I, I can't, I couldn't picture him sort of saying, well, look, here's my vacuum cleaner so, and, I'll yeah. give, and I'll give you money for it, you know? Yeah, festivals are a funny one. Yeah. Festivals... Uh, mm -hmm. But it's been like that for I've, I've been, I've been stung. You've got to be really careful. And, yeah. and um, there is a real... Yeah. There's a real side to the festival market, which is just a con. And that's all it is. And there's yeah. no other way. You can't actually wrap it up any other way. Um, I would suggest harshly that there's not too many festivals out there that give you any added value. But you're testing, you're showing your film to an audience. Yeah. And you're hoping you might get an award which might make your film look attractive. Um, but the reality is, anyone in the, in the industry who knows anything about the industry will know if that festival laurel you're stuck on your poster means that you've achieved anything particularly. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not me being critical of anyone. It's not me being critical of the festivals. Festivals are, like I said, my favourite festival so far has been Fargo. Because yeah. it, so, it was so small and well run. And it was one screen. And we closed it, for goodness sake. I mean, yeah. of course, I'm going to be biased. We had such a lovely event on the final night. Um, of course, I'm biased. Um, and it was also after the whirlwind of CineQuest. Just me and, and the Brandon family went to Fargo and chilled out, yeah. which was lovely. But the small festivals quite often have the nicest atmosphere, treat you the best. Yes, yeah. um, the corners of scale, there's less films, there's less people, they can, treat, they, they can focus in. Um, the bigger festivals, you just get lost in the complete mm. yeah. white noise of everything else that's going on. Yet, a Laurel saying you've been to Cannes or a Laurel saying you've been to Sundance is, yeah. is, is, is probably more valuable than 20 saying yeah. you've been the festivals that aren't those two film festivals. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of coming from a point of view that um, I love actually no, attending festivals. And I, love, I love having <laughs> films shown there, but uh, the, the amount of money that I would have had to pay just to mm -hmm. get one up to that point. So you, you enter 25. And, and I think yeah. there is a fairer system. If my film got picked, I'm happy to pay. I'm not happy to pay for you just to look at it. You know, that's 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 the that's the rub, because you 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 know some of these festivals are very expensive to submit. Well, you know, there's a distinction made by the British Film Council, which gets on my nerves. Um, um, it's a nice service that they offer. Mm -hmm. It always seems to be a little bit late in the day and close to the bone for it to make any difference to the selectors. To be honest, but they'll email you saying so and so from Toronto or Zurich or wherever is coming over to screen films for their festival. And Zurich was screening, I think, at the end of this month, and I think they announced at the end of this month who's in their festivals. So I don't know how that works. Yeah. But my point is, they make a distinction, which is quite nice, which is you get your name, get your film on the list of films to be screened, and it doesn't cost you anything. And only if it gets screened, if they actually screen it, would you get charged. But it's always the same. It's 75 quid if you're uh, an independent film if you're a film without a sales agent, and it's an extra 50 quid if you've got a sales agent, which is so nonsensical. It's like the fact you've got a sales agent, it doesn't mean you've got any money. Yeah. It doesn't mean, I don't understand it. Sales agents don't pay for that. Filmmaker pays for that. Yeah. It's an absolute nonsense, and I've heard the British Council need to have a word with themselves, because it's not. Yeah. It's unfair. It's a distinction that's been made without, it's not speaking to the reality of what's going on in the world. Yeah. It just, I've stopped doing it because I can't, well, I've never, it's not actually, 
not actually been screened by anyone, but sort of doing the numbers in my head, if you go online and look at the actual submission fee for a festival, you get in in the early bird or something, and it's always going to be like a quarter of what it would be if British Council screened your film. Um, and if you do, and then quite often what happens is, I've got to be careful what I say. Yeah. yeah. For the Toronto last year, it was it all got it all got very weird. So we rushed to get we didn't rush, but we had our film finished just in time to make the deadline to get that in. So I rushed the DVD across town, and then about a few days later, an email comes out. Oh, Toronto have overbooked with meetings. They won't be screening any films, but they're going to take all DVDs away free of charge and have a look. And at that point, you know, you know damn well that they've already done the selection. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it, the film festivals are, are yeah, a good, a, a good, a good thing, yeah. but it is very questionable how some of them work. And the nature of the industry is that there, a lot of them, a lot of the big ones will work with distributors. Can, for example, if you don't have a French distributor, forget about it, really. Yeah. Um, they work with distributors in, which, in order to build, build their programs. There was a, a wonderful film called Northern Soul. I actually do really like it and I've met the filmmakers and I do really mm, like them. Yeah, they've worked yes. incredibly hard and they've done really, really well with it. Yeah. Mm. But it was included in a city focus at Toronto. The city focus was London. Well, Northern Soul was a form of music, but it was yes. quite right. It was based in Manchester and it was made by North, Northwest filmmakers. And well, obviously North, you know, North London. But it was a British film and yes. Universal had just bought the digital rights and they were just about to do a release in North America. And so they obviously had a word with Toronto and they squeezed yeah. it into that particular little thing. Because ordinarily it wouldn't have qualified for Toronto at all because it was it had already been screened on TV over here. I'd watched it. On, I'd watched it on Sky Movies just yeah, about, yeah. about six months earlier, and then I found out it had been selected by Toronto for their festival. And you're like, what? How does that work? That film though, I didn't begrudge at all because no. I'd known how hard they had worked. Yes, yeah. they had gone through the outscreen system. Incidentally, that's one of our screen successes. It's Northern Soul had a phenomenal reaction on outscreen. They managed to get it onto um, sixty screens, and that's. Mm. You know, through their own endeavour, Universal pricked up their ears and went, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a cracking movie to boot. Yeah. So, you know, you know so, and that, but that was independent filmmakers not giving up, really pushing it forward. So I've, I've, I've turned a negative comment into a positive one. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh, I don't want to be, come out of this sound like a whinger and a moaner. There's nothing worse than no, a whinging, no, moaning filmmaker because we do it too often. And there's a lot. To, there's a lot to be grateful for at the moment yeah. as independent filmmakers. I think. Well, yeah, because we do a job we love. Yeah. Yeah, and and technological technological advancements, you know, have have really helped us. And if you if you spend the time to get to know what social media can do for you, what those independent platforms can do for you, then um, again, no film nirvana. It's hard bloody graft, but you can actually get results. I think. Yeah. Um, I'll let speak to me in six months. I'll let you know how we got on. But <laughs> it's um, yeah. Now, I mean, we, we we always with these podcasts, you know, it's something we're passionate about. That's why we do it. We mm. always want to have a positive angle to it because it's obviously very easy I, I, to I bitch. Think, I, think but, I think it's important uh, to because yeah. there's, and there's, I mean, right now in the, in the wake of the EU referendum, there's so much negativity and confusion and uncertainty, and I think it's just say so, right. Well, there's uncertainty. Well, as filmmakers, we recognise that all the time. Mm-hmm. So, all you can do is be sure about who you are, what you're doing, and love it. 
Yeah. And from that, I just hope that good things will come. Just keep talking to people, keep keep researching, keep finding information, keep networking. That terrible yeah. word, but important. Yeah. You know, yeah. crack on, really. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, if I may, I am going to big you up before we end this podcast because, <laughs> oh, on, because um, <laughs> you, you know, uh, obviously I know Jane and I think, you know, absolutely fantastic the job she's done and she was absolutely right to cast the the right actors for the for the parts rather than, you know, going the route of a larger name or what whatever that means nowadays. Um, but, you know, having known you from the, me and Simon are always saying the hardest thing for any independent, independent filmmaker in terms of a director, writer, etc., is to find a um, is to find a good producer to put on board. And knowing you from the uh, feast on film, I think one of the reasons that that was so successful was because you didn't just stick a load of films on a screen. You basically did your research into the filmmaker, into the types of film, into the production, and you had a proper structured, organised evening where you did an interview with the filmmakers after and you asked them proper, you know, well thought out, sensible questions in the Q&A. And clearly your passion for that came out. And I think that, um, you know, that is what makes you a strong uh, producer. And it sounds like you've done a fantastic job with this. So we can only A, congratulate you on that, but B, wish you and Jane and the film all the success moving forward because it, uh, it is a unique an individual film and uh, has a resonance so uh you know um yeah it's just wonderf- yeah it's been wonderful feature. to see it come all together so well thanks guys that, 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 that means <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm doing my best not, He's to, in tears not, now. not, not to try and undercut <laughs> the glib comment the, the, the always glib comment is just to repeat talk to me in six months <laughs> um, see if i'm still alive but yeah thank no thanks i think um I think you're right. I think you're right. I think working with people on feast on film and getting to know people, other filmmakers more, yeah. is it is an insight. Is it's, it's half of it's half of being a producer. Obviously, the other side is it's probably the boring stuff you talked about. You did the research and you structured it, and I'm a pain in the ass. You know, I know Jane and Duncan might be listening to this. My girlfriend might be listening to this going, yeah, yeah, things have to be done a certain way. Yeah, it's an opinionated bugger. Yeah, you know. But I, I always feel there's good reasons yeah. and that expect the most out of everybody else and yeah. hold them to account as much as yourself. And hopefully you, you do get something you can all be proud of because yeah. you, only get, you only get one chance to do your best. And then once it's out there as a filmmaker, it's out there, you know. And I think um, everybody brought their ready game on My Feral Heart, definitely. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. Um, now, 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 when this is over, we'll have words as to why you didn't pick our film and uh, why we didn't get our credit. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever saw a script from my review. No, exactly. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> nice. No, good stuff. So, so you've already said where they can find it's myferalheart.com. Myferalheart.co.uk will actually. There's lovely little icons that will take you to all our social media on that website. You can see our trailer on that website. And, um, yeah, follow, like, share. Mailing list. Yeah. Yeah, mailing list. That's a new ma- ma- mailing list, mailing list button. Yeah. Um, yeah, go to our website and check out our trailer because it's done well for us. Um, a guy called Ryan Axe is our assistant editor. He put his hand in the air and, and did a fantastic job on what I think is quite a tricky film to do a trailer for. Um, because it's, it's not a conventional 
narrative. Um, so yeah, it's I think he's done a fantastic job, and it usually, it usually gets a good response. So yeah, check that out, and if you like it, share it. Encourage your friends to retweet, like, share, follow, all of that gubbins. And, uh, and this time next year, Rodney, <laughs> <laughs> you might have broken even. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Keith, where can we find your work? Oh, uh, yeah, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, I will spell E-Y-L-E-S, as in my uh, last name, uh, you will find short films there that I've written, produced and directed. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. Um, You can um, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, if you're on iTunes or Stitcher, please leave leave us a rating and a review. It really, really helps. Yes. Do it, damn it. So, James, thank you so much for, for joining Simon, us. Simon, Keith, thank you. And I hope you cut this down. We've been here hours. <laughs> <laughs> and we just want to wish you the best with, with the film. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And uh, join us for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell.